Hello and welcome back to Corona Cold Reads, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Now that we've completed Shakespeare and Chekhov's canons, our troupe of professional and amateur theater lovers together is taking on great works across mediums. So from Aaron Sorkin to indie playwrights, Valentine's rom-coms, French classics, Greek tragedies, so much more. We've got everything coming up for you. So Shaw, Stoppard, Moliere, Efron, and so much more coming down the pike. So for you to enjoy in audio form here on our podcast feed, or if you want to catch all of our costumes, props, effects, and unplanned pet appearances, um, all of our readings are also available on our YouTube channel. Just search My Entertainment World and you'll see it there. Um, please keep in mind that these are genuinely cold readings. We're publishing unedited, so bear with us through some stumbles, tangents, and of course, every time someone's accidentally on mute. Um, that happens all the time. Sometimes people don't show up. You just got to bear with us. Uh, so to make sure you don't miss any of our content, be sure to subscribe on YouTube or on our podcast feed where you'll find episodes of all our favorite ongoing series, including this one, of course, as well as the Shakespeare series, the favorite series, Corona Movie Club, exclusive interviews, as well as our annual MLB roundtable discussion, which is my very favorite thing we do. So follow us on social media at MyEntWorld, my E-N-T world. Um, and of course, check out the website, MyEntertainmentWorld.ca, where you can find all of the above, as well as reviews, editorials, artist spotlights, and so much more. So thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the show. So having finished our 20th century classics season, which was our standard four weeks, we decided to do a little coda. Um, this season was sort of... Um, in part attack on to the end of 20th century classics because it was indeed a 20th century classic but it was also unto itself its own little mini season because this epic play is in two parts um so we did tony kushner's angels in america um which you'll hear in two installments uh the way you're supposed to i mean you have to buy two theater tickets to see angels in america uh so it's going to be done in two installments here um we did angels in america millennium approaches which is this recording and then next week we'll get to you get you angels in america perestroika perestroika my goodness and i'm glad i was not in this because i can't pronounce anything um so i love angels in america i it's such a wonderful, I've seen it so many times. The Soul Pepper did it multiple times in Toronto. Um, I was lucky enough to win the lottery to see the, um, the New York revival a few years ago, um, that starred Andrew Garfield. I was not thrilled with Andrew Garfield necessarily, but I was extremely thrilled with Lee Pace and the man who played Lewis, who I always forget his name, but he was extraordinary. Um, Lewis is almost always my favorite character in Angels in America. Um, I don't know why I think that the first time you see it, you're sort of like, oh, this is Pryor's story. And then the more you see it, the more you're like, oh, wait, Lewis. I think he's more the authorial voice and he's just, there's so much complexity. And I, I, there's something about the way that he tries and fails and tries again. And he fails so grossly sometimes. Um, and he's just so inadequate and he just feels so true to me um, that I, I think he's, he's, so badly wants to be good and then doesn't know how to make himself do good. Um, he's just, he's a captivating character and Briar's also wonderful. Um, this whole, this whole play is just enthralling and all of the characters are so rich and, um, and work together so beautifully in, in such a really compelling ensemble. One note about our ensemble, I will say right up front, Many apologies. We do not have the demographic breakdown in our troupe that is necessary for this play. We talked it through um, and we decided that the play is beautiful and important and we wanted to do it. And we 
certainly put the call out um, and we reached out to a few people, but we, and, and, and did an open call as well. But um, when we were not able to get the respondents that we needed um, for the represent, representation we needed, specifically racially, though also religiously, gender-wise, LGBTQ representation, um, this play, um, there's just so many men too. Like it, it's just not a, it's not a play that really reflects the, the demographic breakdown of our troupe as it sort of naturally stands. We have just mostly a lot of white women. <laughs> um, and all almost all of our LGBTQ representation is on the female side. And so it, sort of, it was a tricky one to cast because we did not want to mess with the genders and things like that but in terms of racial and religious representation specifically um we just were not able to get the people that we were hoping to be able to get um and uh we we also didn't because it is a a volunteer group there there's no money involved there's no promotion involved um, we didn't want to impose that as like a favor we were asking on anybody when we didn't get any volunteers. So we just decided to sort of do our best and try to be as respectful as we could deploy who we had in the best ways possible. Um, so for example, our, our Jewish cast members um, do play the roles that are the most important that they are Jewish. We have other characters who people are um, playing something that they are not necessarily qualified to be playing. Um, but we did the best that we could with who we had. Um, and I do think that they do a really beautiful job Um I think our, our this cast is is really special, and they really put a lot into it, um, and they do a, a really lovely job. Though, just keep in mind all all caveats and apologies right up front that we know that this is not good enough. Um, but in terms of representation, um, please know that we do know that. Uh, but into onto who actually is in this cast. Um, our voice of God is Basil Dowd. I, I talked a lot in our Casablanca intro about um, how I enjoy deploying Basil Dowd uh, for specifically the stage directions because he's got this like lovely booming voice and this just there's a voice of God quality that I really really love when he's playing uh, reading the stage directions Um, we also have our Harper is Laura Hubbard which I was very excited about because there is a um, sort of ethereal wide-eyed innocence and like sort of a an ability to see beyond what's necessarily just right there um, and sort of see, experience the world in, in a way that's really different from what a lot of other people experience. Um, and there's a, there's a, a truth or a, a clarity to uh, the heart of Harper that I think it, Laura is very, very good at tapping into. And I think she does a really beautiful job. Um, Michael Ross Albert was our Lewis. Uh, I that's my favorite piece of casting. I think maybe ever. I don't know. I say that every time I cast Michael though, because I only know him as a playwright. Like he did, he did train as an actor a long time ago. But he, his professional life, he's always been a playwright. That's how I know him. Um, I never saw him act until he joined us for Merchant of Venice, and then you know he he played a lot of lead roles in our Chekhov season. He's been here sort of in and out the whole time, and he's just he's so compelling. And I think he's just a really, really thrilling actor. He's really sympathetic and and very, very thoughtful. Um, And his Lewis, I don't know what it... He just taps into... And it is my favorite character, but he he taps into him so beautifully. And he's really, really heartbreaking. Um, Some of of those clips are some of my favorite work anyone's done in Corona Cold Reads. So um, if you you don't uh, have time to watch the YouTube video or you're just watching this one or listening to this in the car or wherever and you're not able to watch the YouTube video, definitely go check out some of the clips we have um, because it is it's definitely worth seeing 
um, just like looking into his eyes in some of in some of those so those beautiful Lewis scenes because it's it's really pretty special. Um, Justin Otto joins us in the first part to play uh, Pryor, and he's wonderful as well. Um, he was a guest star for this one. Uh, he is only in part one though, so enjoy him here uh, because he's an excellent Pryor, but he does not return for part two. Um, our Roy was Christopher Prentice, of course, because it is a very big, very difficult very demanding role um that requires someone who's just a little bit i don't know a little bit more established and stronger and just the technique involved there's a there's a lot to roy Cohn. you've got an accent you've got like the sort of natural gravitas and then sort of as the play continues you're doing a lot of like really tricky vocal work and tricky physical work and and because spoiler alert roy roy Cohn gets sick um so it's a really just a really demanding role and when you have one of those you give it to christopher prentice and so i did because i know I've learned my lesson and I know to do that. Um, our Joe is played by Sean Wilson, which he argued with me about because he was like, but I have a big beard. And apparently, I don't know, do can Mormons not have beards? I'm not really sure. But um, I thought he could, it would be a really lovely contrast to the ways in which he'd been cast previously, which is a lot of um, really commanding roles and also debaucherous roles. And so to have him play a soft-spoken Mormon, um, I thought would be very compelling. And it indeed was very compelling. Uh, there's a, a sincerity to Sean that I think was, was very, um, really, uh, really brought a lovely quality to Joe. Um, our Belize is Steve Vargo. Uh, and he's very, he's, he's so fun and he totally gets the character. Um, all caveats, um, already established, but, uh, he, he really did a wonderful job. Marlo K. Shaw is our Hannah. Um, she's got this like beautiful mothering energy, but then also just like a really fierce snap to her. Um, and I think that's a really, that's really fun quality for Hannah. Um, so those are believe, oh, and her, Ethel Rosenberg was Elizabeth Morris who plays this like, she has this calm to her that's so eerie, uh, when deployed on purpose. And, uh, yeah, it's, so there's, there's some really lovely, oh, and our, our rabbi, of course, I have to mention Miriam is our rabbi. So Miriam Bachman, uh, I've said a few times now is, has become, we call her the archbishop of Corona cold reads, um, because she always plays our religious authorities. Um, not that Miriam is a religious authority. There's just, it's from an old joke of she, she wore a funny hat as a bishop once and I thought it was funny. And so I kept casting her as that so that she could keep reusing the hat. And it kind of became this whole thing that she has this, this religious authority to her. Um, and so she is our rabbi here also mostly cause she would know how to pronounce all the words she needs to pronounce and nobody else knew how. Uh, so yeah, that's our, that's our main cast for, uh, millennium, millennium approaches. Um, and I will uh, tell you a little bit more when we get to perestroika in our next episode. So enjoy part one of angels in America. Then welcome everyone to uh, part one of angels in America. And we'll do a quick roll call. Every every name I call out, just give us a quick hey, uh, just so that we also make sure that everything is working. So for today's stage directions, I am Bessel Daoud. And playing Harper, Amity Pitt, it's Laura Hubbard. Hello. And playing Louis, Louis probably, Ironson, is Michael Ross Albert. Hello. Okay. And Prior Walter is Justin Otto. Hello. Playing Roy M. Cohn is Christopher Prentice. Hello. And playing Joseph Porter Pitt, Sean Wilson. Hello, hello. And Hannah Porter Pitt is Marlo K. Shaw. Hi. 
Belize is played by Steve Vargo, who will be joining us imminently. And the angel and the voice are played by Gabby Grice. This is the voice! <laughs> and Henry and Mr. Lies are played by Nicole Falgu. Hello. Emily is played by Melissa Wright. Hi. Ethel Rosenberg by Elizabeth Morris. Hello. Let me make sure I say this right. Rabbi Isidore uh, Emelwitz is, and Pryor II is played by Miriam Bachman. Hello. And the man in the park, Martin Heller, and Pryor I is Mark Crater. Hi there, guys. And finally, Sister Ella Chapter and the woman in the South Bronx, played by Hilary Wardinger. Hi. And thank you for your patience. On to Act One. <clears throat> Act One, Bad News, October, November 1985. Scene One, the last days of October. Rabbi Isidore Chemelwitz alone on stage with a small coffin. It is a rough pine box with two wooden pegs, one at the foot and one at the head, holding the lid in place. A prayer shawl embroidered with a star of David is draped over the lid, and by the head, a Yaltzid candle is burning. Hello and good morning. I am Rabbi Isidore Chemelwitz of the Bronx Home for Aged Hebrews. We are here this morning to pay respect to the passing of Sarah Ironson, devoted wife of Benjamin Ironson, also deceased, loving and caring mother of her sons, Morris, Abraham, and Samuel, and her daughters, Esther and Rachel. Beloved grandmother of Max, Mark, Louis, Lisa, Maria, uh, Leslie, Angela, Doris, Luke, and Eric. Eric? This is a Jewish name. Eric. A large and loving family. We assemble that we may mourn collectively this good and righteous woman. Looks at the coffin. This woman. I did not know this woman. I cannot accurately describe her attributes nor do justice to her dimensions. She was well in the Bronx home of aged Hebrews are many like this, the old and to many I speak, but not to be frank with this one. She preferred silence. So I do not know her and yet I know her. She was Touching not a person, but a whole kinds of person. The ones who crossed the ocean, who brought with us to America, the villages of Lit Russia and Lithuania, and how we struggled and how we fought for the family, for the Jewish home, so that you would not grow up here in this strange place, in the melting pot where nothing melted. Descendants of this immigrant woman, you do not grow up in America. You and your children and their children with the Goyesha names, you do not live in America. No such place exists. Your clay is the clay of some Litvak shtetl. Your air, the air of the steppes. Because she carried the old world on her back across the ocean in a boat. And she put it down on Grand Concourse Avenue or in Flatbush. And she worked that earth into your bones and you pass it to your children, this ancient, ancient culture and home. You can never make that crossing that she made for such great voyages in this world do not anymore exist. 
But every day of your lives, the miles that voyage between that place and this one you cross, every day, you understand me, in you that journey is. So, she was the last of the Mohicans, this one was. Pretty soon, all the old will be dead. Scene two, same day. Roy and Joe in Roy's office. Roy at an impressive desk, bared except for a very elaborate phone system. Rows and rows of flashing buttons which bleep and beep and whistle incessantly, making chaotic music underneath Roy's conversations. Joe is sitting, waiting. Roy conducts business with great energy, impatience, and sensual abandon. Gesticulating, shouting, cajoling, crooning, playing the phone, receiver and hold button with virtuosity and love. I wish I was an octopus. A fucking octopus. Eight loving arms and all those suckers. Know what I mean? No, I... I... You want lunch? No, that that's okay, really. I, I just... Roy Cohn, no... No, what kind of a greeting is... No, I thought we were friends, eh? Look, Mrs. Sofer, you don't have to get... You're upset. You're yelling. You'll aggravate your condition. You shouldn't yell. You'll pop little blood vessels in your face if you yell. No, it was a joke, Mrs. Sofer. I was joking. I already apologized 16 times for that, Mrs. Sofer. You... This will take a minute. To eat already. What is this tasty sandwich here? It's a mm, sliver or some. Here. Pitching the sandwich to Joe, who catches it and returns it to the platter. Uh huh. Uh huh. No, I already told you it wasn't a vacation. It was business, Mrs. Silver. I have clients in Haiti. Mrs. Silver, I. Listen, Eileen. You think I'm the only goddamn lawyer in history ever missed a court date? Don't make such a big fucking old. You hack! If, if this is a bad time... I... Bad time? This is a good time! Baby doll, uh, get me... Oh, fuck. Wait. Hello? Yeah, sorry to keep you holding, Judge Hollins. I... Uh... Oh. Mrs. Hollins? Sorry, dear, deep voice you got. Enjoying your visit? She sounds like a truck driver and he sounds like Kate Smith. Very confusing. Nixon appointed him. All the geeks are Nixon's appointees. Yeah, yeah, right, good. So, how many tickets, dear? Seven. For what? Cats, 42nd Street, what? No, you wouldn't like Lakage, trust me, I know. Oh, for God's sake. Hold. Uh, baby doll, get seven for cats or something. Anything hard to get. I don't give a fuck. Why? Neither will they. You see Lakage? Uh, no, I... It's fabulous. Um... It's the best thing on Broadway. Maybe ever. Who? Oh, Jesus H. Christ. Harry? No! Harry, Judge John Francis Grimes, Manhattan Family Court. Do I have to do every goddamn thing myself? Touch the bastard, Harry, and don't call me on this line again. I told you not to. Uh, Roy, uh, should I wait outside? Oh, sit. You hold. I pay you to hold. Fuck you, Harry, you jerk. Halfway dick brain. I see the universe, Joe, as a kind of sandstorm in outer space with winds of mega-hurricane velocity, but instead of grains of sand, it's shards and splinters of glass. You ever feel that way? You ever had one of those days? I'm not sure I... So how's life in appeals? How's the judge? Uh, he sends his best. He's a good man. Loyal. 
not the brightest man on the bench, but he has manners and a nice head of silver hair. He gives me a lot of responsibility. Yeah, like writing his decisions and signing your name. His name. Well, (laughs) he's a nice guy and you cover admirably. Well, thanks, Roy. I'm just. Who is this? Well, who the fuck are you? Old. Harry. 87 grand, something like that. Oh, fuck him. Eat me. New Jersey. Chain of porno film stores in um, uh, Weehawken. That's. Harry, that's the beauty of the law. So, baby doll, what is it? Cats. Cats. It's about cats. Singing cats. You'll love it. Eight o'clock. The theater's always at eight. Fucking tourists. Oh, live a little, Joe. Eat something for Christ's sake. Um, Roy, could you... What? Hold a minute. Mrs. Sofer. Mrs... Damn it to hell. Where is... Roy, I I really She was here a minute ago. If you... Baby doll, see if... Um... Jesus, fuck this goddamn thing. I really thing. wish that you wouldn't... Um... Baby doll, ring the post. Get me Susie. See if... Christ. Roy! <sighs> what? Could you, could you please not take the Lord's name in vain? Uh, I'm sorry, but... Please? Uh, at least while I'm here and... Right. Sorry. Fuck. Plain America. <sighs> Baby doll, tell him to all the fuck off. Tell him I died. You handle Mrs. Sofer. Tell her it's on the way. Tell her I'm stooping the judge. I'll call her back. I will call her. I know how much I borrowed. She's got 400 times that stuffed up her... Yeah, tell her I said that. So, Joe... I'm sorry, Roy. I just no, no, no. Really, um, principles count. I respect principles. I'm not religious, but I like God, and God likes me. Baptist, Catholic, uh, Mormon, Mormon, delectable, absolutely. <laughs> Only in America. So, Joe, what do you think? Uh, it's crazy life. Well, chaotic. Well, but God bless chaos, right? Um, huh. uh, Mormons. I knew Mormons in um Nevada, Utah mostly. No, these Mormons were in Vegas. So, how'd you like to go to Washington to work for the Justice Department? Uh, s- sorry. How'd you like to go to Washington and work for the Justice Department? All I got to do is pick up the phone, talk to Ed, and you're in. In what exactly? Associate assistant something. Big, internal affairs, heart of the woods, something nice with clout. Ed. Meese, uh, the attorney general. Uh, oh. All I have, pick up the phone. I, I have to think. Um, of course. It's a great time to be in Washington, Joe. Uh, Roy, it's... Incredibly And it would mean exciting. something to me. You understand? I, I can't say how much I appreciate this, Roy. I'm uh, sort of, well, s- stunned. I'm, I mean, r- thanks, Roy, but I have to give it some thought. Uh, I have to ask my wife. Your wife? 
course. But I, I, I really appreciate of you. Course. Talk to your wife. Scene three. Later that day, Harper at home, alone. She's listening to the radio and talking to herself, as she often does. She speaks to the audience. People who are lonely, people left alone, sit talking nonsense to the air, imagining beautiful systems, dying old fixed orders, spiraling apart. When you look at it from the ozone there, from outside, from a spaceship, it looks like a pale blue halo, a gentle shimmering aureole encircling the atmosphere, encircling the earth. 30 miles above our heads, a thin layer of three atom oxygen molecules, product of photosynthesis, which explains the fussy vegetable preference for visible light, its rejection of darker rays and emanations, danger from without. It's a kind of gift from God, the crowning touch to the creation of the world. Guardian angels, hands linked, make a spherical net a blue-green nesting orb, a shell of safety for life itself, but everywhere things are collapsing. Lies surfacing. Systems of defense giving way. This is why, Joe, this is why I shouldn't be left alone. I'd like to go traveling. Leave you behind to worry. I'll send postcards with strange stamps and tantalizing messages on the back. Later, maybe. Never more. Mr. Lies, a travel agent, appears. Oh, you startled me. Cash, check, or credit card? I remember you. You're from Salt Lake. You sold us the plane tickets when we flew here? What are you doing in Brooklyn? You said you wanted to travel. And here you are. How thoughtful. Mr. Lies, of the International Order of Travel Agents. We mobilize the globe, we set people adrift, we stir the populace and send nomads eddying across the planet. We are adepts of motion, acolytes of the flux, cash, check, or credit card. Name your destination. Antarctica. Maybe. I want to see the hole in the ozone. I heard on the radio. He has a computer terminal in his briefcase. I can arrange a guided tour. Now? Soon. Maybe soon. I'm not safe here. You see, things aren't right with me. Weird stuff happens. Like? Well, like you, for instance. Just appearing? Or last week, well, never mind. People are like planets. You need a thick skin. Things get to me. Joe stays away and now, how oh, look, my, my dreams are talking back to me. It's the price of rootlessness, motion sickness. The only cure to keep moving. I'm undecided. I feel that something's going to give. It's 1985, 15 years to the third millennium. Maybe Christ will come again. 
maybe seeds will be planted. Maybe there'll be harvests then. Maybe early figs to eat, maybe new life, maybe fresh blood, maybe companionship and love and protection, safety from what's outside. Maybe the door will hold or maybe, maybe the troubles will come and the end will come and the sky will collapse and there will be terrible rains and showers of poison light or maybe my life is really fine. Maybe Joe loves me. And I'm only crazy thinking otherwise, or maybe not, maybe it's even worse than I know. Maybe, I want to know. Maybe I don't. The suspense, Mr. Lies, it's killing me. I suggest a vacation. Harper, here's something. That was the elevator. Oh, God, I should fix myself up. You, you, you have to go. You shouldn't be here. You weren't even real. Call me when you decide. No. The travel agent vanishes as Joe enters. Buddy? Buddy? Sorry I'm late. I, I was just out. Walking. Are you mad? I got a little anxious. Aww. Buddy kiss? Hmm. Nothing to get anxious about. So, how'd you like to move to Washington? Scene four. Same day. Lewis and Pryor, outside the funeral home, sitting on a bench, both dressed in fun funeral finery, talking. The funeral service for Sarah Ironson has just concluded and Lewis is about to leave for the cemetery. My grandmother actually saw Emma Goldman speak in Yiddish, but all grandma could remember was that she spoke well and wore a hat. What a weird service. That rabbi. A definite find. Get his number when you go to the graveyard. I want him to bury me. Better head out there. Everyone gets to put dirt on the coffin once it's lowered in. Ooh, cemetery fun. Don't want to miss that. It's an old Jewish custom to express love. Here, Grandma, have a shovel full. Latecomers run the risk of finding the grave completely filled. She was pretty crazy. She was up there in that home for 10 years talking to herself. I never visited. She looked too much like my mother. Poor Lewis. I'm sorry your grandma's dead. Tiny little coffin, huh? Sorry I didn't introduce you to... I always get so closety at these family things. Butch, you get butch. Uh, hi, uh, Cousin Doris. Uh, you don't remember me. I'm Lou, Rachel's boy. Lou, not Lewis, because if you say Lewis, they'll hear the sibilant S. I don't... I don't blame you, hiding. Bloodlines. Jewish curses are the worst. I personally would dissolve if anyone ever looked me in the eye and said, Feh. Fortunately, wasps don't say feh. Though, and by the way, darling, Cousin Doris is a dyke. No. Really? You don't notice anything. If I hadn't spent the last four years filleting you, I'd swear you were straight. 
You're in a pissy mood. Cat still missing? Not a fur ball in sight. It's your fault. It is. I warned you, Lewis. Names are important. Call an animal Little Sheba and you can't expect it to stick around. And besides, it's a dog's name. I wanted a dog in the first place, not a cat. He spayed my books. He was a female cat. Cats are stupid, high-strung predators. Babylonians sealed them up in bricks. Dogs have brains. Cats have intuition. A sharp dog is as smart as a really dull two-year-old child. Cats know when something's wrong. Only if you stop feeding them. They know. And that's why Sheba left. Because she knew. Knew what? I did my best Shirley Booth this morning. Floppy slippers, house coat, curlers, can of little friskies. Come back, little Sheba. Come back. To no avail. Le chat en elle rivian jamais, jamais. He removes his jacket, rolls up his sleeve, shows Lewis a dark purple spot on the underside of his arm near the shoulder. See? That's just a burst blood vessel. Not according to the best medical authorities. What? Tell me. KS, baby. Lesion number one. Look at the wine-dark kiss of the angel of death. Oh, please. I'm a legionnaire. The foreign lesion. The American lesion. Legionnaire is disease. Stop. My troubles are lesion. Will you stop? Don't you think I'm handling this well? I'm going to die. Bullshit. Let go of my arm. No. Let go! No! Look, I can't find a way to spare you, baby. No wall like the wall of hard scientific fact. Chaos. Wham. Bang your head on that. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Oh, now that's what I like to hear. A mature reaction. Let's go see if the cats come home. Lewis. When did you find this? I couldn't tell you. Why? I was scared, Lou. Of what? That you'll leave me. Oh. Bad timing, funeral and all, but I figured as long as we're on the subject of death- I have to go bury my grandma. Lou? Then you'll come home? Then I'll come home. Scene five. Same day, later on. Split scene. Joe and Harper at home. Lewis at the cemetery with Rabbi Isidore Femelwitz and the little coffin. Washington? It's an incredible honor, buddy, and... I have to think. Of course. They know. You said you were going to think about it. I don't want to move to Washington. 
Well, I do. It's a giant cemetery, huge white graves and mausoleums everywhere. We could live in Maryland or Georgetown. We're happy here. That's not really true, buddy. We... Well, happy enough. Pretend happy. That's better than nothing. It's time to make some changes, Harper. No changes. Why? I've been chief clerk for four years. I make $29,000 a year. That's ridiculous. I graduated fourth in my class, and I make less than anyone I know. And I'm, I'm tired of being a clerk. I want to go somewhere. Something good is happening. Nothing good happens in Washington. Forget church, forget church teachings and buy furniture at Conran's and become yuppies. I, I, I have too much to do here. Like what? I do have things. What things? I have to finish painting the bedroom. You've been painting in there for over a year. I know. I... It just isn't done because I never get time to finish it. That's... That doesn't make sense. You have all the time in the world. You, You could finish it when I'm at work. I'm afraid to go in there alone. Afraid of what? I heard someone in there. Metal scraping on the wall, a man with a knife, maybe? There's no one in the bedroom, Harper. Not now. Not this morning, either. How do you know? You were at work this morning. There's something creepy about this place. Remember Rosemary's baby? Rosemary's baby? Mm, Our apartment looks like that one. Wasn't that apartment in Brooklyn? Uh, No, it it was... um... Well, it looked like this. It did. Then let's move! Well, Georgetown's worse. The exorcist was in Georgetown. The devil everywhere you turn, huh, buddy? Yeah, everywhere. How many pills today, buddy? None. One? Three. Only three. Why are there just two little wooden pegs holding down the lid? So she can get out easier, if she wants to. I hope she stays put. I pretended for years that she was already dead. When they called to say she had died, it was a surprise. I abandoned her. I don't speak Yiddish. Sharper than the serpent's tooth is the ingratitude of children. Shakespeare. Can it glear? Rabbi, what does the Holy Writ say about someone who abandons someone he loves at a time of great need? Why would a person do such a thing? Because he has to. Maybe because this person's sense of the world that it will change for the better with struggle. Maybe a person who has this neo-Hegelian positivist sense of constant historical progress towards happiness or perfection or something who feels very powerful because he feels connected to those forces moving uphill all the time. Maybe that person can't 
um, incorporate sickness into his sense of how things are supposed to go, maybe vomits and sores and disease really frighten him. Maybe he isn't so good with death. The holy scriptures have nothing to say about such a person. Rabbi, I'm afraid of the crimes I may commit. Please, mister, I'm a sick old rabbi facing a long drive home to the Bronx. You want to confess? Better you should find a priest. But I'm not a Catholic. I'm a Jew. Mm. Worst luck for you, Bubala. Catholics believe in forgiveness. Jews believe in guilt. You just make sure those pegs are in good and tight. Don't worry, mister. The life she had, she'll stay put. She's better off. Look, I know this is scary for you, but try to understand what it means to me. Will you try? Yes. Good. Really try. I think things are starting to change in the world. But I don't Wait, wait. For the good. Change for the good. America has rediscovered itself, its sacred position among nations, and people aren't ashamed of that like they used to be. This is a great thing, the truth restored, law restored. That is what President Reagan's done, Harper. He says, truth exists and can be spoken proudly. And the country responds to him. We become better, more good. I need to be a part of that. I need something big to lift me up. I mean, six years ago, the world seemed in decline, horrible, hopeless, full of unsolvable problems and crime and confusion and hunger. And it still seems that way. More now than before. They say the ozone layer is... Uh, Harper... And today, out the window on Atlantic Avenue, there was a schizophrenic traffic cop who was making the- uh, st- Stop it! I- I'm- I'm trying to make a point. So am I. Y- you aren't even making sense. You talk- My point is, the world seems just as- It only seems that way to you because you never go out in the world, Harper. And you have emotional problems. I do so get out in the world. You don't. You stay in all day fretting about imaginary... I get out, I do. You don't know what I do. You don't stay in all day. No. Well, (laughs) yes, you do. That's what you think. Where do you go? Where do you go when you walk? And I do not have emotional problems. I'm sorry. And if I do have emotional problems, it's from living with you, or... I'm I'm sorry, buddy. I didn't mean to. Or, if you do think that I do, you should never have married me. You have all these secrets and lies. I want to be married to you, Harper. You shouldn't. You never should. Hey, buddy, 
Hey, buddy. Buddy kiss. I heard on the radio how to give a blowjob. What? You want to try? You really shouldn't listen to stuff like that. Mormons can give blowjobs. Harper. Joe. Well, it was a little Jewish lady with a German accent. This is a good time for me to make a baby. And they went on to a program about holes in the ozone layer over Antarctica, skin burns, birds go blind, icebergs melt. World's coming to an end. Scene six, first week of November, in the men's room of the offices of the Brooklyn Federal Court of Appeals, Lewis is crying over the sink. Joe enters. Oh, um, uh, morning. Good morning, counselor. Uh, sorry, I, um, I don't know your name. Uh, don't bother, word processor, the lowest of the low. Uh, Joe. Joe Pitt, I'm with Justice Wilson. Oh, I know that. Counselor Pitt, Chief Clerk. Uh, were you... Are you okay? Oh, yeah. Thanks. What a nice man. Not so nice. What? Not so nice. No, nothing. I, you sure you're... Life sucks shit. Life just sucks shit. What's wrong? Running my nylons. Sorry? Forget it. Look, thanks for asking. Um, I, I um, mean, is really nice of you. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Thick friend. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, well, that's sweet. <laughs> Three of your colleagues have preceded you to this baleful sight, and you're the first one to ask. The others just opened the door, saw me, and fled. I hope they had to pee real bad. Look, they they just didn't want to intrude. <laughs> Reaganite, heartless, macho, asshole lawyers. Oh, uh, that's unfair. What is heartless, macho? Reaganite? Lawyer? I voted for Reagan. You did? Twice. Twice? Well, oh boy, a gay Republican. Excuse me? Nothing. Uh, I'm, I'm not. Uh, forget it. Republican? Not Republican or what? What? Uh, not gay. I, I'm not gay. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's just yes. Well, sometimes you can tell from the way a person sounds that. I mean, you sound like, uh... No, I don't. Like, what? Like a Republican. Joe knows he's being teased. 
Lewis knows he knows. Joe decides to be a little brave. Do I sound like a... What, like a Republican? Or do I? Do you what? Sound like a... Like a... (laughs) I'm confused. (laughs) Yes. My name is Lewis, but all my friends call me Louise. I work in word processing. Thanks for the toilet paper. Lewis offers Joe his hand. Joe reaches. Louis faints and pecks Joe on the cheek, then exits. Scene seven. A week later. Mutual dream scene. Pryor is at a fantastic makeup table, having a dream, applying the face. Harper is having a pill-induced hallucination. She has these from time to time. For some reason, Pryor has appeared in this one. Or Harper has appeared in Pryor's dream. It is bewildering. Pryor, alone, putting on makeup and examining the results in the mirror. I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. Hmm. One wants to move through life with elegance and grace, blossoming infrequently, but with exquisite taste and perfect timing, like a rare bloom, a zebra orchid. One wants, but one seldom gets what one wants, does one? No, one does not. One gets fucked over. One dies at 30, robbed of decades of majesty. Oh, fuck this shit. Fuck this shit! I look like a corpse. A corpsette. Oh, my queen. You know you've hit rock bottom when even drag is a drag. Harper appears. Are you? Who are you? Who are you? What are you doing in my hallucination? I'm not in your hallucination. You're in my dream. You're wearing makeup. So are you. But you're a man. The hands and feet gave it away. Hmm. There must be some mistake here. I don't I don't recognize you. You're not Are you my some sort of imaginary friend? No. Aren't you too old to have imaginary friends? I have emotional problems. I took too many pills. Why are you wearing makeup? I was in the process of applying the face, trying to make myself feel better. I swiped the new fall colors at the clean counter at Macy's. You stole those? I was out of cash. It was an emotional emergency. Joe will be so angry. I promised him no more pills. (laughs) These pills you keep alluding to. Valium. I take Valium. Lots of Valium. And you're dancing as fast as you can. I'm not addicted. 
I don't believe in addiction and I, I never, well, I never drink and I never take drugs. Well, smell you, Nancy Drew. Except Valium. Except Valium in wee fistfuls. It's terrible. Mormons are not supposed to be addicted to anything and I'm a Mormon. I'm a homosexual. Oh, well, in my church, we don't believe in homosexuals. In my church, we don't believe in Mormons. What church do... Uh, (laughs) I get it. I don't understand this. If I didn't ever see you before, and I don't think I did, then I don't think you should be here in this hallucination. Because in my experience, the mind, which is where hallucinations come from, shouldn't be able to make up anything that wasn't there to start with, that didn't enter it from experience, from the real world. Imagination can't create anything new, can it? It only recycles bits and pieces from the world and reassembles them into visions. Am I making sense right now? Given the circumstances, yes. So when we think we've escaped the unbearable ordinariness and, well, untruthfulness of our lives, it's really only the same old ordinariness and falseness rearranged into the appearance of novelty and truth. Nothing unknown is knowable. Don't you think that's depressing? The limitations of the imagination. Yes. It's something you learn after your second theme party. It's all been done before. The world. Finite. Terribly, terribly. Well, this is the most depressing hallucination I've ever had. Apologies. I do try to be amusing. Oh, well, don't apologize. I can't expect someone who's really sick to entertain me. How on earth do you know? Oh, that happens. This is the very threshold of revelation. Sometimes you can see things. How sick you are. Do you see anything about me? Yes. What? You are amazingly unhappy. Oh, big deal. You meet a Valium addict and you figure out she's unhappy. That doesn't count. Of course, I... Something else, something surprising. Something surprising? Yes. Your husband's a homo. (laughs) Ridiculous. Really? Threshold of revelation. Well, I don't like your revelations. don't think you into it well at all. I mean, Joe's a very normal man. He got, oh God, do homos take lots of long walks? Yes, we do. In stretch pants with lavender quaffs. 
I just looked at you and there was... Um, a sort of blue streak of recognition? Yes. Like you knew me incredibly well. Yes. Yes. I have to go now. Get back. Something just fell apart. God. I feel so sad. I... I'm sorry. I usually say fuck the truth, but mostly the truth fucks you. I see something else about you. Oh. Deep inside you, there's a part of you, the most inner part, entirely free of disease. I can see that. Is that? That isn't true. Threshold of revelation. Home. She vanishes. People come and go so quickly here. I don't think there's any uninfected part of me. My heart is pumping polluted blood. I feel dirty. He begins to wipe makeup off with his hands, smearing it around. A large gray feather falls from up above. Pryor stops smearing the makeup and looks at the feather. He goes to it and picks it up. Look up. Hello? Look up. Who is that? Prepare the way. I don't see any. There is a dramatic change in lighting from above. Look up. Look up. Prepare the way. The infinite descent. A breath in air floating down. Glory to. Hello? Is that it? Hello? What the fuck? Poor me. Poor, poor me. Oh, why me? Why poor, poor me? Oh, I don't feel good right now. I really don't. Scene eight. That night, split scene, Harper and Joe at home, Pryor and Lewis in bed. Where were you? Out. Where? Just out. Thinking. It's late. I had a lot to think about. I burned dinner. Sorry. Not my dinner. My dinner was fine. Your dinner, I put it back in the oven and turned everything up as high as it could go and watched till it turned black. Well, it's still hot. Very hot. Want it? You didn't have to do that. I know. It just seemed like the kind of thing a mentally deranged, sex-starved, pill-popping housewife would do. Mm-hmm. So I did it. Who knows anymore what I have to do? How many pills? A bunch. Don't change the subject. I won't talk to you when you've... No. 
No, don't do that. I'm, I find pills are not the problem. Not our problem. I want to know where you've been. I want to know where you're going. What's going on? What Going on with what? The job? Not the job. I said I need more time. Not the job. Mr. Cohn, I talked to him on the phone. He said I had to hurry. Not the... But I can't get you to talk sensibly about Shut anything. Up. So Shut Then up. what? Stick to the subject. I don't know what that is. You have something you want to ask me? Ask me. Go. I can't. I'm scared of you. I'm tired. I'm going to bed. Tell me without making me ask. Please. This is crazy. When you come, I'm not... when you come through the door at night, your face is never exactly the same way I remembered it. I get surprised by something mean and hard about the way you look. Even the weight of you in bed at night, the way you breathe in your sleep seems unfamiliar. You terrify me. I know who you are. Yes. I'm the enemy. That's easy. That doesn't change. You think the, you're the only one who hates sex? I do. I hate it with you. I do. I dream that you batter away at me till my joints come apart like wax and I fall into pieces. It's like punishment. It was wrong of me to marry you. I knew you. It's a sin, and it's killing us both. I can always tell when you've taken pills because it makes you red-faced and sweaty, and frankly, that's very often why I don't want to. Because... Well, you aren't pretty. Not like this. I have something to ask you. Then ask! Ask! What in the hell are you- Are you a homo? Are you? If you try to walk out right now, I'll put your dinner back in the oven and turn it up so high the whole building will fill with smoke and everyone in it will asphyxiate, so help me God, I will. Now, answer the question. What if I- Then tell me, please, and we'll see. No, I'm not. And I don't see what difference it makes. <clears throat> Jews don't have any clear textual guide to the afterlife, even that it exists. I don't think much about it. I see it as a perpetual rainy Thursday afternoon in March. Dead leaves. Ugh, very Greco-Roman. Well, for us, it's not the verdict that counts. It's the act of judgment. That's why I could never be a lawyer. In court, all that matters is the verdict. You could never be a lawyer because you are oversexed. You're too distracted. Not distracted, abstracted. I'm trying to make a point. Namely? It's the judge in his or her chambers weighing Books open, pondering the evidence, ranging freely over categories, good, evil, innocent, guilty. 
the judge in the chamber of circumspection, not the judge on the bench with the gavel, the shaping of the law, not its execution. The point, dear, the point. It should be the questions and shape of a life. It's total complexity gathered, arranged, and considered which matters in the end, not some stamp of salvation or damnation, which disperses all the complexity in some unsatisfying little decision. The balancing of the scales. I like this. Very zen. It's reassuring. Assuringly incomprehensible and useless. We who are about to die, thank you. You are not about to die. It's not going well, really. Two new lesions. My leg hurts. There's protein in my urine, the doctor says, but who knows what the fuck that pretends. Anyway, it shouldn't be there, the protein. My butt is chapped from diarrhea, and yesterday I shat blood. I really hate this. You don't tell me. You get too upset. I wind up comforting you. It, it's easier. Oh, thanks. If it's bad, I'll tell you. Shitting blood sounds bad to me. And I'm telling you. And I'm handling it. Tell me more about justice. I am handling it. Well, Lewis, you win Trooper of the Month! I take it back. You aren't Trooper of the Month. This isn't working. Tell me more about justice. You are not about to die. Justice is an immensity, a confusing vastness. Justice is God. Prior, mm. you love me. Yes. What if I walked out on this? Would you hate me forever? Prior kisses Lewis on the forehead. Yes. I think we ought to pray. Ask God for help. Ask him together. God won't talk to me. I have to make people up to talk to me. You have to keep asking. I forget the question. Oh yeah, um, God, is my husband Stop it! Stop it! I am warning you! Does it make any difference? That I might be one thing deep within, no matter how wrong or ugly that thing is, so long as I have fought with everything I have to kill it, what do you want from me? What do you want from me, Harper? More than that. For God's sake, there's nothing left. I'm a shell. There is nothing left to kill. 
as long as my behavior is what I know it has to be, decent, correct, that alone in the eyes of God. No. No, not that. That's Utah talk, Mormon talk. I hate it, Joe. Tell me. Say it. All I will say is that I am a very good man who has worked very hard to become good, and you want to destroy that. You want to destroy me, and I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to have a baby. Liar. You liar. A baby born addicted to pills. A baby who does not dream but who hallucinates, who stares up at us with big mirror eyes and who does not know who we are. Are you really? No. Yes. No. Yes. Get away from me. Now we both have a secret. One of my ancestors was a ship's captain who made money bringing whale oil to Europe and returning with immigrants, Irish mostly, packed in tight, so many dollars per head. And the last ship he captained foundered off the coast of Nova Scotia in a winter tempest and sank to the bottom. He went down with the ship, Le Granges, but his crew took 70 women and kids in the ship's only longboat, this big open rowboat. And when the weather got too rough and then the boat was overcrowded, the crew started lifting people up and hurling them into the sea until they got the ballast right. And they walked up and down the longboat, eyes to the waterline. And when the boat rode too low in the water, they'd grab the nearest passenger, and throw them into the sea. And the boat was leaky, see. Seventy people. They arrived in Halifax with nine people on board. Jesus. I think about that story a lot now. People in a boat, waiting, terrified, while implacable, unsmiling men irresistibly strong sees maybe the person next to you maybe you and with no warning at all with no time only for a quick intake of air you are pitched into freezing turbulent water and salt and darkness to drown i like your cosmology baby while time is running out, I find myself drawn to anything that's suspended, that lacks an ending. But it seems to me that that lets you off scot-free. What do you mean? No judgment, no guilt or responsibility. For me? For anyone. It was an editorial you. Please get better. Please. Please don't get any sicker. 
Scene nine, third week in November. Roy and Henry, his doctor, in Henry's office. Nobody knows what causes it, and nobody knows how to cure it. The best theory is that we blame a retrovirus, the human immunodeficiency virus. Its presence is made known to us by the useless antibodies, which appear in reaction to its entrance into the bloodstream through a cut or an orifice. The antibodies are powerless to protect the body against it. Why? We don't know. The body's immune system ceases to function. Sometimes the body even attacks itself. At any rate, it's left open to a whole horror house of infections from microbes, which it usually defends against. Like Kaposi sarcomas. These lesions, or your throat problem, or the glands. We think it may also be able to slip past the blood-brain barrier into the brain, which is, of course, very bad news. And it's fatal in we don't know what percent of people with suppressed immune responses. It's very interesting, Mr. Wizard, but why the fuck are you telling me this? Well, I have just removed one of three lesions, which biopsy results will probably tell us is a Kaposi sarcoma lesion. And you have a pronounced swelling of glands in your neck, groin, and armpits. Uh, Lymphedematopathy <laughs> is another sign. And you have oral can candiasis and maybe a little more fungus under the fingernails of two digits on your right hand. So that's why this disease syndrome, whatever it afflicts mostly homosexuals and drug addicts. Mostly hemophiliacs are also at risk. Homosexuals and drug addicts. So why are you implying that I, what are you implying, Henry? I don't, I'm not a drug addict. Oh, come on, Roy. What? What? Come on, Roy. What? Do you think I'm a junkie, Henry? Do you see any tracks? This is absurd. Say it. Say what? Say, Roy Cohn, you are a... Roy. You are a... Go on. Not Roy Cohn, you are a drug fiend. Roy Marcus Cohn, you are a... Go on, Henry. It starts with an H. Oh, I'm not going to. With an H, Henry, and it isn't hemophiliac. Come on. What are you doing, Roy? No, say it. I mean it. Say, Roy Cohn, you are a homosexual. And I will proceed systematically to destroy your reputation and your practice and your career in New York State, Henry, which you know I can do. Roy, you have been seeing me since 1958. Apart from the facelifts, I have treated you for everything from syphilis. From a whore in Dallas. From syphilis to venereal warts in your rectum, which you may have gotten from a whore in Dallas, but it wasn't a female whore. So say it. Roy Cohn, you are... You have had sex with men many, many times, Roy. And one of them, or any number of them, has made you very sick. 
You have AIDS. AIDS. Your problem, Henry, is that you're hung up on words, on labels, that you believe that they mean what they seem to mean. AIDS, homosexual, gay, lesbian. You think these are names that tell you who someone sleeps with, but they don't tell you that. No. No. Like all labels, they tell you one thing and one thing only. Where does an individual so identified fit in the food chain in the pecking order? Not ideology or sexual taste, but something much simpler. Clout. Not who I fuck or who fucks me, but who will pick up the phone when I call who owes me favors. This is what a label refers to. Now, to someone who does not understand this, homosexual is what I am because I have sex with men. But really, this is wrong. Homosexuals are not men who sleep with other men. Homosexuals are men who, in 15 years of trying, cannot get a pissant anti-discrimination bill through city council. Homosexuals are men who know nobody and who nobody knows, who have zero clout. Does this sound like me, Henry? No. No. I have clout. A lot. I can pick up this phone, punch 15 numbers, and you know who will be on the other end in under five minutes, Henry? The president? Even better, Henry. His wife. I'm impressed. Well, I don't want you to be impressed. I want you to understand this is not sophistry. And this is not hypocrisy. This is reality. I have sex with men. But unlike nearly every other man of whom this is true, I bring the guy I'm screwing to the White House and President Reagan smiles at us and shakes his hand. Because what I am is defined entirely by who I am. Roy Cohn is not a homosexual. Roy Cohn is a heterosexual man, Henry, who fucks around with guys. Okay, Roy. And what is my diagnosis, Henry? You have AIDS, Roy. No, Henry, no. AIDS is what homosexuals have. I have liver cancer. Well, whatever the fuck you have, Roy, it's very serious and I haven't got a damn thing for you. The NIH in Bethesda has a new drug called AZT with a two-year waiting list that not even I can get you on to. So get on the phone, Roy, and dial the 15 numbers and tell the first lady you need in on an ins experimental treatment for liver cancer because you can call it any damn thing you want, Roy, but it, what it boils down to is very bad news. Act two, in vitro, December 1985, January 1986. Scene one, night. The third week in December. Prior, alone on the floor of his bedroom, he is much worse. Lewis! Lewis, please wake up! Oh, God! Oh! Lewis runs in. Oh, I think something horrible is wrong with me. I, I can't breathe. I'm calling the ambulance. No, wait. I... Wait? Are you fucking crazy? Oh my God, you're on fire. Your head is on fire. It hurts. It hurts. Calling the ambulance. No, I don't want to go to the hospital. I don't want to go to the hospital. Please let me lie here. Just. No, no, God, Prior, stand up. Don't touch my leg. We have to. 
Oh God, this is so crazy. I'll be okay if I just lie here, Lou, really, if I can only sleep a little. Louis exits. Louis! No! Don't you call Don't you send me there? I won't come back, please! Please, Louis, I'm begging you, baby, please! Louis! Will you shut the fuck up? Uh, I have, oh, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. Wait, wait, just, oh, 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 God. He shit himself. Prior, they'll be here in, oh, my God. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. What did, what? I had an accident. This is blood. Baby, you shouldn't touch it, me. I... He faints. Oh, help. Oh, help. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Help me. I can't. I can't. Scene two. Same night. Harper is sitting at home, all alone, with no lights on. We can barely see her. Joe enters, but he doesn't turn on the lights. Why are you sitting in the dark? Turn on the light. No. I heard the sounds in the bedroom again. I know someone was in there. No one was. Maybe actually in the bed, under the covers, with a knife. Oh, oh boy, Joe. I am. Um, I think I'm thinking of going away, by which I mean, I think I'm going off again. You. You know what I mean? Please don't. Stay. We can fix it. I pray for that. This is my fault, but I can correct it. You you have to try too. He turns on the light. She turns it off again. When you pray, what do you pray for? I pray to God for God to crush me. Break me up into little pieces and start all over again. Please don't pray for that. I had a book of Bible stories when I was a kid. There was a picture I'd look at 20 times every day. Jacob wrestles with the angel. I don't really remember the story or why the wrestling just the picture jacob is young and very strong the angel is a beautiful man with golden hair and wings of course i still dream about it many nights i'm it's me in that struggle fierce and unfair. The angel is not human and it holds nothing back. So how could any anyone human win? What kind of a fight is that? It's not just. Losing means your soul thrown down in the dust, your heart torn out from God's, but you can't not lose. The whole entire world 
You are the only person, the only person I love or have ever loved. And I love you terribly, terribly. That's what's so awfully irreducibly real. I can make up anything, but I can't dream that away. Are you, are you really gonna have a baby? It's my time and there's no blood. I don't really know. I suppose it wouldn't be a great thing. Maybe I'm just not bleeding because I take too many pills. Maybe I'll give birth to a pill. That would give a new meaning to pill popping, huh? I think you should go to Washington alone. Change like you said. I'm not going to leave you, Harper. No, maybe not, but I'm going to leave you. Scene three, 1 a.m. the next morning. Lewis and a nurse, Emily, are sitting in Pryor's room in the hospital. He'll be all right now. No, he won't. No, I guess not. I gave him something that makes him sleep. Deep asleep? Orbiting the moons of Jupiter. Good place to be. Any place better than here. You his, uh? Yes, I'm his, uh. This must be hell for you. It is hell, the afterlife, which is not at all like a rainy afternoon in March, by the way, prior, a lot more vivid than I'd expected. Dead leaves, but the crunchy kind, sharp, dry air, the kind of long, luxurious, dying feeling that breaks your heart. Yeah. Well, we all get to break our hearts on this one. He seems like a nice guy. Cute. Not like this. Yes, he is, was, whatever. Weird name. Prior Walter, like the Walter before this one? <laughs> Lots of Walters before this one. Prior is an old, old family name in an old, old family. The Walters go back to the Mayflower and beyond, back to the Norman Conquest. He says there's a prior Walter stitched into the Bayou Tapestry. Is that impressive? Well, it's old very old, which in some circles equals impressive. Not in my circle. What's the name of the tapestry? The Bayeux Tapestry, embroidered by La Reine Mathilde. I'll tell my mother. She embroiders, drives me nuts. Manual therapy for anxious hands. Maybe you should try it. Mathilde stitched while William the Conqueror was off to war. She was capable of more than loyalty, devotion. She waited for him, she stitched for years, and if he had come back broken and defeated from war, she would have loved him even more. 
And if he had returned mutilated, ugly, full of infection and horror, she would still have loved him, fed by pity, by a sharing of pain. She would love him even more and even more, and she would never, never have prayed to God, please let him die if he can't return to me whole and healthy and able to live a normal life. If he had died, she would have buried her heart with him. So what the fuck is the matter with me? Uh, will he sleep through the night? At least. I'm going. It's 1 a.m. Where do you have to go? At what time it is? A walk. Night air. Good for the, the park. Be careful. Yeah. Danger. Tell him, uh, if he wakes up and you're still on, tell him goodbye. Tell him I had to go. Scene four. An hour later. Split scene. Joe and Roy in a fancy straight bar. Lewis and a man in the ramble in Central Park. Joe and Roy are sitting at the bar. The place is brightly lit. Joe has a plate of food in front of him, but he isn't eating. Roy occasionally reaches over the table and forks small bites off Joe's plate. Roy is in a tuxedo, bow tie loosened. Joe is dressed casually. Roy is drinking heavily, Joe not at all. Lewis and the man are eyeing each other, each alternating interest and indifference. The pills were something she started when she miscarried or no there were she took some before that she had a really bad time at home like when she was a kid her home was really bad i think a lot of drinking and physical stuff she doesn't talk about that instead she talks about the sky falling down, people with knives hiding under sofas, monsters. Mormons. Everyone thinks Mormons don't come from homes like that. We aren't supposed to behave that way, but we do. It's not lying or being two-faced. Everyone tries very hard to live up to God's scriptures, which are very, um, strict. I shouldn't be bothering you with all this. No, please. Heart to heart. Uh, one another, what is that, seltzer? The failure to measure up hits people very hard. From such a strong desire to be good, they feel very far from goodness when they fail. What scares me is that maybe what I really love in her is the part of her that's farthest from the light, from, from God's love. Maybe I was drawn to that in the first place, and I'm keeping it alive because I need it. Why would you need it? There are things 
I, I don't know how well we know ourselves. I, I mean, what if... I know I married her because she... Because I loved it that she was always wrong. Oh, always doing something wrong. Like, like one step out of step. In Salt Lake City, that stands out. I, I never stood out on the outside, but inside it was hard for me to pass. Pass? Yeah. Pass is what? Oh, um, well, as someone cheerful and strong, those who love God with an open heart, unclouded by secrets and struggles, are cheerful. God's easy, simple love for them shows in how strong and happy they are, the saints. But you had secrets, secret struggles. I wanted to be one of the elect, one of the blessed. You, you feel you ought to be, that the blemishes are yours by choice, which of course they aren't. Harper's sorrow, that really deep sorrow, she didn't choose that, but it's there. You didn't put it there. No. Well, you sound like you think you did. I am responsible for her. Because she's your wife. That, and I do love her. Whatever. She's your wife, and there are obligations to her, but also to yourself. She'd fall apart in Washington. Then let her stay here. She'll fall apart if I leave her. Then bring her to Washington. I can't, Roy. I just can't. She needs me. Listen, Joe. I'm the best divorce lawyer in the business. Uh, can't Washington wait? You do what you need to do, Joe. What you need. You. Let her life go where it wants to go. You'll both be better for it. Somebody should get what they want. What do you want? I want you to fuck me. Hurt me? Make me bleed? I want to. Yeah? I want to hurt you. Fuck me. Hard. Yeah. You've been a bad boy. Uh, very bad. Very bad. You need to be punished? Boy. Yes, I do. Guess what? Um, I... Yes. What, boy? Oh, yes, sir. I want you to take me to your place, boy. Uh, no, I, I can't do that. No what? No, sir, I can't. I, um, I don't live alone, sir. Your lover? No, you're out with a man tonight, boy. No, sir, he... Uh, my lover doesn't know. 
your lover know you let's like. change the subject okay um can we go to your place i live with my parents oh everyone who makes it in this world makes it because somebody older and more powerful takes an interest the most precious asset in life i think is the ability to be a good son you have that joe Somebody who can be a good son to a father who pushes them farther than they would otherwise go. I've had many fathers. I owe my life to them. Powerful, powerful men. Walter Wintle, Finchel, Edgar Hoover, Joe McCarthy most of all. He valued me because I am a good lawyer, but he loved me because I was and am a good son. He was a very difficult man, very guarded and cagey. I brought out something tender in him. He would have died for me, and I for him. Does this embarrass you? I had a hard time with my father. Well, sometimes that's the way. Then you have to find other fathers, substitutes, I don't know. The father-son relationship is central to life. Women are for birth, beginning, but the father is continuance. The son offers the father his life as a vessel for carrying forth his father's dream. Your father is living? Um, dead. He was, what? A difficult man. He was in the military. He could be very unfair and cold. But he loved you. I don't know. No, no, Joe, he did. I know this. Sometimes a father's love has to be very, very hard, unfair, even cold, to make his son grow strong in a world like this. This isn't a good world. Here, then. I, um... Do you have a rubber? I don't use rubbers. You should. Uh, here. I don't use them. Forget it then. No. Wait. Put it on me, boy. Forget it. I have to get back home. I must be going crazy. Oh, come on, please. He won't find out. It's cold. Too cold. It's never too cold. Let me warm you up. Please. They begin to fuck. Relax. <laughs> Not a chance. It's... What? Uh-huh. I think it broke. The rubber. You want me to keep going? Pull out? Uh, should I? Keep going. Infect me. I don't care. I don't care. Uh, the man pulls out. I, um... Look, I'm sorry, but I think I want to go. Yeah. Give my best to mom and dad. The man slaps him. Ow. It was a joke. The man leaves. 
How long have we known each other? Since 1980? Right. A long time. I feel close to you, Joe. Do I advise you well? You've been an incredible friend, Roy. And I want to be family. Familia, as my Italian friends call it. La familia. Lovely word. It's important for me to help you like I was helped. I owe practically everything to you, Roy. I'm dying, Joe. Cancer. Oh, oh my God. Please, let me finish. Few people know this, and I'm telling you this only because I'm not afraid of death. What can death bring that I haven't faced? I've lived. Life is the worst. <laughs> Listen to me. I'm a philosopher. Joe, you must do this. You must, must, must. Love, that's a trap. Responsibility, that's a trap too. Like a father to a son, I tell you this. Life is full of horror. Nobody escapes. Nobody. Save yourself. Whatever pulls on you, whatever needs from you, threatens you. Don't be afraid. People who are so afraid, don't be afraid to live in the raw wind, naked, alone. Learn at least this. What you are capable of, let nothing stand in your way. Scene five. Three days later, Pryor and Belize in Pryor's hospital room. Pryor is very sick, but improving. Belize has just arrived. Miss Thing. Ma chérie, Bichette. Stella. Stella for star. Let me see. You look like shit. Why, yes, indeed you do. Come la merde. Merci. Not to despair. Belle Reeve, look. Magic goop. Pooh! What kind of crap is that? Beats me. Let's rub it on your poor blistered body and see what it does. This is not Western medicine, these bottles. Voodoo cream from the Botanica around the block. And you're a registered nurse. Beeswax and cheap perfume cut with Jurgen's lotion. Full good vibes and love from some little black Cubana witch in Miami. Get that trash away from me. I am immune suppressed. I am a health professional. I know what I'm doing. It stinks. Any word from Lewis? There is a pause. Belize starts giving Pryor a gentle massage. Gone. He'll be back. I know the type. Likes to keep a girl on edge. Oh, it's been... How long? I don't remember. How long have you been here? I don't remember. I don't give a fuck. I want Lewis. I want my fucking boyfriend. Where the fuck is he? I'm, I'm dying. I'm dying. Where is Lewis? Shh. 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 
this is a very strange drug, this drug. Emotional ability for starters. Save a tab or two for me. Oh no, not this drug. Say ne pas pour la jeune Noël et la bonne année. This drug, she is serious poisonous chemistry, ma pauvre bichette. And not just disorienting. I hear things. Voices. Voices. Ah, voice. Saying what? I'm not supposed to tell. You better tell the doctor or I will. No, no, don't, please. I want the voice. It's wonderful. It's all that's keeping me alive. I don't want to talk to some intern about it. You know what happens when I hear it? I get hard. Oh my. Come saw. And you know I am slow to rise. My jaw aches of the memory. And would you deny me this little solace? Betray my concupcience to Florence Nightingale's stormtroopers? Here's the thought, my baby. They changed the drug just to spoil the fun. You and your boner can depend on me. Hmm. All this girl talk shit is politically incorrect, you know. We should have dropped it back when we gave up drag. I'm sick. I get to be politically incorrect if it makes me feel better. You sound like Lou. Well, at least I have the satisfaction of knowing he's in anguish somewhere. I loved his anguish. Watching him stick his head up his asshole and eat his guts out over some relatively minor moral conundrum. It was the best show in town. The mother warned me, if they get overwhelmed by the little things. They'll be belly up Buttsville when something big comes along. Mother warned me. And they do come along. But I didn't listen. No. Men are beasts. The absolute lowest. (laughs) I have to go. I want to spend my whole lonely life looking after white people I can get underpaid to do it. Oh, you're just a Christian martyr. Whatever happens, baby, I will be here for you. Je t'aime. Je t'aime. Don't go crazy on me, girlfriend. I already got enough crazy queens for one lifetime. Two. Can't be bothered with dementia. I promise. Ouch. Ouch, indeed. Why'd they have to pick on you? Eat more, girlfriend. You really do look like shit. Please leaves. He's gone. Are you still? I can't stay. I will return. Are you one of those follow me to the other side voices? No, I am no nightbird. I am a messenger. You have a beautiful voice. It sounds like a viola, like a perfectly tuned, tight string, balanced. The truth. Stay with me. Not now. Soon I will return. I will reveal myself to you. I am glorious. Glorious. My heart, my countenance, and my message. You must prepare. For what? I don't want to. 
No, death, no. A marvelous work and a wonder we undertake. An edifice awry we sink, plumb, and straighten. A great lie we abolish. A great error correct with the rule, sword, and broom of truth. What are you talking about? I, I... I am on my way. When I am manifest, our work begins. Prepare for the parting of the air. The breath. The ascent. Glory to... Scene 6. The second week of January. Martin, Roy, and Joe in a fancy Manhattan restaurant. It's a revolution in Washington, Joe. We have a new agenda and finally a real leader. They got back to the Senate, but we have the courts. By the 90s, the Supreme Court will be block solid Republican appointees. And the federal bench, Republican judges like landmines everywhere. Everywhere they turn. Affirmative action? Take it to the court. Boom! Landmine. And we'll get our way on just about everything. Abortion, defense, Central America, family values, alive investment, climate. We have the White House locked till the year 2000 and beyond. A permanent fix on the Oval Office? It's possible. By 92, we'll get the Senate back. And in 10 years, the South is going to give us the House. It's really the end of liberalism, the end of New Deal socialism, the end of ipso facto secular humanism, humanism, whatever. The dawning of a genuinely American political personality modeled on Ronald Wilson Reagan. It sounds great, Mr. Heller. Martin, Martin. And justice is the hub, especially since Ed Meese took over. He doesn't specialize in fine points of law. He's, you know, he's a flat foot. Uh, cop. He reminds me of, of Teddy Roosevelt. I, I can't wait to meet him. Oh, too bad, Joe. He's been dead for 60 years. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> he, he said you want to. Little joke, little joke. Uh, it reminds me of this of story about the... Uh... Shut the fuck up, Martin. You see that? Mr. Heller here is one of the mighty Joseph in D.C., he sitteth on the right hand of the man who sitteth on the right hand of the man. And yet I can say, shut the fuck up, and he will take no offense. Loyalty. He. Martin. Yes, Roy. Rub my back. Roy. No, no, really, a sore spot. I get them all the time now. These. Rub it for me, darling. Would you do that for me? Martin rubs Roy's back. They both look at Joe. How do you think a handful of Bolsheviks turned St. Petersburg into Leningrad in one afternoon? Comrades who do for each other. Marx and Engels, Lenin and Trotsky, Joseph Stalin and Franklin Delano Roosevelt. <laughs> Comrades, right, Martin? Uh, this, this man, Joe, is a saint. Of the right. I know, Mr. Heller. I And you see I, what I mean, Martin? You see what I he's special, right? Don't embarrass him, Roy. Gravity, decency, smarts. His strength is as the strength of ten, because his heart is pure. And he's a Roy boy, one hundred percent. We're on the move, Joe. On the move. Mr. Heller, I we can't wait any longer. For an answer.
Oh, um, I. Uh, Joe's a married man, Martin. Yeah. <laughs> With a wife. She doesn't care to go to D.C., and so Joe cannot go and keeps us dangling. We've seen that kind of thing before, haven't we? These men and their wives. Oh, yes. Beware. I really can't discuss this under... Then don't discuss. Say yes, Roy. Now. Say yes, I will. Now. Now. I'll hold my breath until you do. I'm turning blue waiting. Now, goddammit. Roy, calm down. It's not... Ah, fuck it. Read. Came today. Joe reads the first paragraph, then looks up. Roy, this is... Roy, this is terrible. You're telling me. A letter from the New York State Bar Association, Martin. They're going to try and disbar me. Oh, my. Why? Why, Martin? Revenge. The whole establishment. Their little rules, because I know no rules. Because I don't see the law as dead, an arbitrary collection of antiquated dictums. Thou shall, thou shalt not. Because, because I know the law's a pliable, breathing, sweating organ. Because, because... Because he borrowed half a million from one of his clients. Yeah, well, there's that. And he forgot to return it. Roy, that's... You borrowed money from a client? I'm deeply ashamed. Roy, you know how much I admire you. Well, I mean... I know you have unorthodox ways, but I'm sure you only did what you thought at the time you needed to do. And I have faith that... Not so damp, please. I'll deny it was a loan. She's got no paperwork, can't prove a fucking thing. Martin studies the menu. Roy, I really appreciate you telling me this, and I'll do whatever I can to help. you can do. I'm about to be tried, Joe, by a jury that is not a jury of my peers. The disbarment committee, genteel gentlemen, Brahmin lawyers, country club men. I offend them. To these men, I'm what, Martin? Some sort of filthy little Jules troll. Oh, well, I wouldn't go so far as... Oh, well, I would. Very fancy lawyers, these disbarment committee members. These lawyers, fancy lawyers, with fancy corporate clients and complicated cases. Antitrust suits, deregulation, environmental control. Complex cases like these need Justice Department cooperation, like flowers need the sun. Wouldn't you say that's an accurate assessment, Martin? I'm not here, Roy. I'm not hearing any of this. No, no, of course not. Without the light of the sun, Joe, these cases and these fancy lawyers who represent them will wither and die. A well-placed friend, someone in the Justice Department, say, 
can turn off the sun, cast a deep shadow on my behalf, make them shiver in the cold if they overstep. They would fear that. Roy, I, I don't understand. You do. You're not asking me Shh, to... Careful. Even if I said yes to the job, it would be illegal to interfere with the hearings. It's unethical. No, I, I can't. Unethical. Would you excuse us, Martin? Excuse you. Take a walk, Martin. For real. Martin leads. Unethical. Are you trying to embarrass me in front of my friend? Well, it is unethical. Boy, you are really something. What the fuck do you think this is? Sunday school? No, but Roy, this is a... This is... This is gastric juices churning. This is enzymes and acids. This is intestinal, is what this is. Bowel movement and blood-red meat. This stinks. This is politics, Joe. The game of being alive. And you think you're... What? Above that? Above alive? Is what? Dead? In the clouds? You're on Earth, goddammit! Plant a foot! Stay a while! I'm sick. They smell I'm weak. They want blood this time. I must have eyes in justice. In justice, you will protect me. Why can't Mr. Heller do- Grow up, Joe. The administration can't get involved. But I'd be part of the administration. The same as him. Not the same. Martin's Ed's man and Ed's Reagan's man. So Martin's Reagan's man. And you're mine. This will never be. Understand me? I'm going to be a lawyer, Joe. I'm going to be a lawyer, Joe. I'm going to be a goddamn motherfucking legally licensed member of the bar lawyer, just like my daddy was to the last bitter day on earth, Joseph, until the day I die. Martin returns. Ah, Martin's back. So, are we agreed? Joe? I will think about it. I will. It's the fear of what comes after the doing that makes the doing hard to do. Amen. But you can almost always live with the consequences. Scene seven. That afternoon, on the granite steps outside the Hall of Justice, Brooklyn. It is cold and sunny. A sabrette wagon is selling hot dogs. Lewis, in a shabby overcoat, is sitting on the steps contemplatively eating one. Joe enters with three hot dogs and a can of Coke. Can I... Oh, sure. Sure. Crazy cold sun. Have to make the best of it. How's your friend? My... Oh, he's worse. 
My friend is worse. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, thanks for asking. It's nice. You're nice. <laughs> I can't believe you voted for Reagan. I hope he gets better. Reagan? Your friend. <clears throat> he won't. <laughs> Neither will Reagan. Let's not talk politics, okay? You're eating three of those? Well, I'm hungry. They're really terrible for you. Full of rat poo and beetle legs and wood shavings and shit. Mm. And um, iridium, I think, something toxic. You're eating one. Well, the shape, I can't help myself. Plus, I'm trying to commit suicide. What's your excuse? I don't have an excuse. I just have Pepto-Bismol. Yeah, I know. But then I wash it down with Coke. Are you... Are you always like this? I've been worrying a lot about his kids. Who's? Reagan's. Maureen and Mike and little orphan Patty and Miss Ron Reagan Jr. The, you should pardon the expression, heterosexual. Ron Reagan Jr. is not. You, you shouldn't just make these assumptions about people. How do you know? about him what what he is you don't know well darling he never sucked my cock but look if you're going to get vulgar no no, really i mean what's it like to be the child of the zeitgeist to have the american animus as your dad it's not really a family reagan's i read people there aren't any connections there no love they don't ever even speak to each other except through their agents so what's it like to be reagan's kid inquiring minds want to know you can't believe everything that you but I think we all know what that's like nowadays. No connections, no responsibilities, all of us falling through the cracks that separate what we owe to ourselves and what we owe to love. You just, whatever you feel like saying or doing, you don't care. You just do it. Do what? it whatever whatever it is you want to do are you trying to tell me something no i'm just observing that you impulsive yes i i mean it must be scary you Land of the free, home of the brave, call me irresponsible. It's kind of terrifying. Yeah, well, freedom is. Heartless, too. Oh, you're not heartless. You don't know. Finish your weenie. He pats Joe on the knee and starts to leave. Um, Louis turns, looks at him. 
Joe searches for something to say. Yesterday was Sunday, but I've been a little unfocused recently, and I thought it was Monday, so I came here like I was going to work, and the whole place was empty. And at first, I couldn't figure out why, and I had this moment of incredible fear, and also... It, it just it just flashed through my mind. The whole hall of justice, it's empty. It's deserted. It's it's gone out of business forever. The people that make it run have up and abandoned it. Creepy. Well well, yes, but I felt that I was going to scream. Not because it was creepy but because the emptiness felt so fast and well good uh, a happy scream I just wondered what a thing it would be if if overnight everything you owe anything to justice or love had really gone away free it would be heartless terror yes terrible and very great to shed your skin every old skin one by one and then walk away unencumbered into the morning. I can't go in there today. And don't. I, I can't go in. I I need I can't be this anymore. I need a change. Uh, I should just want some company for whatever. Uh, Sometimes, even if it scares you to death, you have to be willing to break the law. Know what I mean? Yes. I moved out. I moved out on my... I haven't been sleeping well. Me neither. Lewis goes up to Joe, licks his napkin, and dabs at Joe's mouth. Antacid mustache. Maybe the court won't convene ever again. Maybe we are free to do whatever. Children of the new morning, criminal minds, selfish and greedy and loveless and blind. Reagan's children, you're scared, so am I. Everybody is in the land of the free. God help us all. Scene eight, late that night. Joe at the payphone, phoning Hannah at home in Salt Lake, Salt Lake City. Mom? Joe? Hi. 
you're calling from the street. It must be four in the morning. What's happened? Nothing. Nothing. I. It's Harper. It's Harper. Joe? Joe? Yeah, hi. No, Har- Harper's fine. Well, <laughs> no, she's not fine. How are you, Mom? What's happened? I just wanted to talk to you. I, um, <laughs> I wanted to try something out on you. Joe, you haven't, H- have you been drinking, Joe? <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> I'm drunk. <laughs> oh, that isn't like you. No. I mean, (laughs) who's to say? Why are you on the street at 4 a.m. in that crazy city? It's dangerous. Actually, Mom, I'm not on the street. I'm near the boathouse in the park. What park? Central Park. Central Park? Oh, my Lord. What on earth are you doing in Central Park at this time of night? Are you... Joe, I think you ought to go home right now. Call me from home. Joe? I come here to watch, Mom. Sometimes. Just to watch. Watch what? What's there to watch it for in the... Mom? Did Dad love me? What? Did he? You want to go home and call from there? Answer. Oh, now, really, this is maudlin. I don't like this conversation. Yeah, well, it gets worse from here on. Joe? Mom? Mama? I'm a homosexual, Mama. Boy, did that come out awkward. Hello? Hello? I'm a homosexual! Please, Mama, say something. You're old enough to understand that your father didn't love you without being ridiculous about it. What? You're ridiculous. You're being ridiculous. I'm... What? You really ought to go home now to your wife. I need you to go to bed. This phone call. We will just forget this phone call. Mom. No more talk. Tonight, this drinking is a sin. A sin. I raised you better than that. C9. The following morning, early. Split scene. Harper and Joe at home. Lewis and Pryor in Pryor's hospital room. Joe and Lewis have just entered. This should be fast and obviously furious. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, God. Oh, the moment of truth has arrived. Harper. I'm going to move out. The fuck you are. Harper, please listen. I still love you very much. 
you're still my best buddy. I'm not going to leave you. No, I don't like the sound of this. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I already have. Please listen. Stay. This is really hard. We have to talk. We are talking, aren't we? Now, please shut up, okay? Bastard. Sneaking off while I'm flat out here. That's low. If I could get up now, I'd beat the holy shit out of you. Did you take pills? How many? No pills. Bad for the... You aren't pregnant. I called your gynecologist. I'm seeing a new gynecologist. You have no right to do this. Oh, that's ridiculous. No right. It's criminal. Forget about that. Just listen. You want the truth? This is the truth. I knew this when I married you. I've known this, I guess, for as long as I've known anything. But I don't know. I thought maybe that with enough effort and will, I could change myself. But I can't. Criminal. There ought to be a law. There is a law. You'll see. I'm losing ground here. I go walking. You want to know where I walk? I, I go to the park or up and down 53rd Street or places where... And I keep swearing I won't go walking again, but I just can't. I need some privacy. Well, that's new. Everything's new, Pryor. I try to tighten my heart into a knot, a a snarl. I try to learn to live dead, just numb. But when I see something I want, and it's like a nail, like a hot spike right through my chest, and I know I'm losing. Apartment too small for three. Lewis and Pryor comfy, but not Lewis and Pryor and Pryor's disease. Something like that. I won't be judged by you. This isn't a crime, just the inevitable consequence of people who run out of whose limitations. Bang, bang, bang. This court will come to order. I mean, let's talk practicalities, schedules. I'll come over if you want, spend nights with you when I can. I can... Has the jury reached a verdict? I'm doing the best I can. Pathetic. Who cares? My whole life has conspired to bring me to this place, and I can't despise my whole life. I think I believed when I met you, I could save you. At least, if not myself, but... I don't have any sexual feelings for you, Harper. And I don't think I ever did. I think you should go. Where? Washington. Doesn't matter. What are you talking about? Without me. Without me, Joe. Isn't that what you want to hear? Yes. You can love someone and fail them. You can love someone and not be able to. You can. Theoretically, yes. A person can. Maybe an editorial you can love. Lewis. But not you. Specifically, you. I don't know. I think you are excluded from that general category. You're going to save me. But the whole time you were... 
spinning a lie. I I just don't under I just don't understand that. A person could theoretically love, and maybe many do, but we both know now you can't. I do. You can't even say it. I love you, Pryor. I repeat, who cares? This is so scary. I want this to stop, to go back. We have reached a verdict, Your Honor. This man's heart is deficient. He loves, but his love is worth nothing. Harper. Mr. Lies, I want to go get away from here. Far away right now. Before he starts talking again, please, please. As long as I've known you, Harper, you've been afraid of of men hiding under the bed, men hiding under the sofa, men with knives. I'm dying, you stupid fuck. Do you know what that is? Love. Do you know what that means? We lived together for four and a half years, you animal, you idiot. I have to find some way to save myself. Who are these men? I never understood it. Now I know. What? It's me. It is? Get out of my room. I'm the man with the knives. You are? If I could get up now, I'd kill you. I would. Go away, go away, or I'll scream. Oh, God. I'm sorry. It is you. Please don't scream. Go. I recognize you now. Please. I... Wait, I... (coughs) Oh! He covers his mouth with his hand, gags, Uh, and removes his hand, red with blood. I'm bleeding. Mr. Lies! Mr. Lies. Right here. I want to go away. I can't see him anymore. Where? Anywhere. Anywhere. Far away. Absolutamento. Harper and Mr. Lies vanish. Joe looks up, sees that she's gone. When I open my eyes, you will be gone. Harper? It worked. Harper? Oh, I heard all over. I wish I was dead. Scene 10. The same day, sunset. Hannah and sister Ella Chapter, a real estate saleswoman, Hannah Pitt's closest friend, in front of Hannah's house in Salt Lake City. That view, view of heaven, like the living city of heaven, isn't it? Just fairly glimmers in the sun. Glimmers. Even the stone and brick, it just shimmers and glitters like heaven in the sunshine. Such a nice view you get, perched up on a canyon rim. Some kind of beautiful place. It's just Salt Lake, and you're selling the house for me, not to me. I like to work up an enthusiasm for my properties. Just get me a good price. Well, the market's off. At least 50. 40 be more like it. 50. I wish you'd wait a bit. Well, I can't. Oh, I wish you would. You're about the only friend I got. Oh, well now. 
know why I decided to like you. I decided to like you because you're the only unfriendly Mormon I ever met. <laughs> Your wig is crooked. No. Oh, oh, fix it. Had a straight from Sister Ella's wig. New York City. All they got there is tiny rooms. I always thought people ought to stay put. That's why I got my license to sell real estate. That's a way of saying, have a house, stay put. It's a way of saying traveling's no good. Plus, I need the cash. She takes a pack of cigarettes out of her purse, lights one, and offers the pack to Hannah. Not, not out here. Anyone could come by. In days I've stood at this ledge and thought about stepping over. It's a hard place, Salt Lake. Fake dry. Abundant energy, not much intelligence. That's a combination that can wear a body out. No harm looking someplace else. I don't need much room. My sister-in-law Libby thinks there's radon gas in the basement. Is there gas in the... No, of course not. Uh, Libby's a fool. Because I'd have to include that in the description. There's no gas, Ella. Give a puff. She takes a a furtive drag of Ella's cigarette. Put it away now. So I guess it's goodbye? It'll be all right, Ella. I wasn't ever much of a friend. I'll say something, but don't laugh, okay? This is the home of saints. Godliest place on earth, they say. And I think they're right. It means there's no evil here? No, no, evil's everywhere. Sin's everywhere. But this is the spring of sweet water in the desert. The desert flower. Every step a believer takes away from here is a step fraught with peril. I fear for you, Hannah Pitt, because you are my friend. Stay put. This is the right home of saints. Latter-day Saints. Only kind left. But still, late in the day for Saints and everyone. That's all. That's all. $50,000 for the house, Sister Ella Chapter. Don't undersell. It's an impressive view. Act three. Not yet conscious, forward dawning. January 1986. Scene one. Late night, three days after the end of act two. The stage is completely dark. Pryor is in bed in his apartment, having a nightmare. He wakes up, sits up, and switches on a nightlight. He looks at his clock. Seated by the table near the bed is a man dressed in the clothing of a 13th century British squire. Who are you? My name is Walter Pryor, Pryor Walter. And my name is Pryor Walter. I know that. Explain. You're alive. I'm not. We have the same name. Uh, what do you want me to explain? A ghost? An ancestor. Not the Pryor Walter, but the Bayou Tapestry Pryor Walter. His great-great-grandson, the fifth of the name. I'm the 34th, I think. Actually, the 32nd. Not according to my mother. Ah, 
she's including the two bastards, then I say, leave them out. I say, no room for bastards. The little things you swallow. Pills. Ah, pills. For the pestilence. I, too. Pestilence. You, too, what? The pestilence in my time was much worse than now. Whole villages of empty houses. You could look outdoors and see death walking in the morning, dew dampening and ragging a ragged ham of his black robe, plain as I see you now. You died of the plague. A spotty monster like you, alone. I'm not alone. You have no wife, no children. I'm gay. So, be gay. Dance and you're all together for all I care. What's that to do with not having children? Gay, homosexual, not Bonnie Blythe, and never mind. I had 12 when I died. The second ghost appears. This one dressed in the clothing of an elegant 17th century Londoner. And I was three years younger than him. Ah! Oh God, another one! Prior Walter. Prior to you by some 17 others. Uh, he's counting the bastards. Are we having a convention? You've been sent to declare her fabulous incipients. They love a well-paved entrance with lots of heralds and... in The messenger come, prepare the way. The infinite descent of breath in air. They chose us, I suspect, because of the mortal affinities. In a family as long descended as the Walters, there are bound to be a few carried off by plague. The spotty monster. Black Jack came from a water pump half the city of London. Can you imagine? His came from fleas. Yours, I understand, is the lamentable consequence of venery. Fleas on rats, but who knew that? Am I going to die? We aren't allowed to discuss. When you do, you don't get ancestors to help you through it. You may be surrounded by children, but you die alone. I'm afraid. You should be. There aren't even torches, and the path's rocky, dark, and steep. Don't alarm him. There's good news before there's bad. We two come to strew rose petal and palm leaf before the triumphal procession. Prophet, seer, revelator, it's a great honor for the family. Uh, he hasn't got. I meant for the Walters, for the family in the larger sense. All I want is a room somewhere far away from the cold, cold air. Calm, calm, this is no brain fever. Prior calms down but keeps his eyes closed. The lights begin to change. Distant, glorious music. Adonai? Adonai? Even now. Alarm, hayikto, zifirot, zazut, hahadam, hagodal, daughter of light, daughter of splendors, thoro, phosphor, lumen, candle. Even now, from the bright mirror, bright halls of heaven, across the cold and lifeless infinity of space, the messenger comes, trailing orbs of light, fabulous, incipient, O oh prophet, to you. Prepare. 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 The infinite, infinite descent. A breath. A feather. Glory to...
they vanish. Scene two, the next day. Split scene, Lewis and Belize in a coffee shop. Friar is at the outpatient clinic at the hospital with Emily, the nurse. She has him on a pentamidine IV drip. Why has democracy succeeded in America? Of course, by succeeded, I mean comparatively, not literally, not in the present. But what makes for the prospect of some sort of radical democracy spreading outward and growing up? Why does the power that was once so carefully preserved at the top of the pyramid by the original framers of the Constitution seem drawn inexorably downward and outward in spite of the best effort of the right to stop this? I mean, It's the really hard thing about being left in this country. The American left can't help but trip over all these petrified little fetishes. Freedom, that's the worst. You know, Gene Kirkpatrick, for God's sakes, will go on and on about freedom. And so what does that mean? The word freedom, when she talks about it, or human rights? You have Bush talking about human rights. And so what are these people talking about? They might as well be talking about the mating habits of Venusians. These people don't begin to know what ontologically freedom is or human rights. Like they see these bourgeois, property-based rights of man type rights, but that's not enfranchisement, not democracy, not what's implicit, what's potential within the idea, not the idea with blood in it. That's just liberalism. The worst kind of liberalism, really. Bourgeois tolerance. And I think And what I think is that what AIDS shows us is the limits of tolerance, that it's not enough to be tolerated because when the shit hits the fan, you find out just how much tolerance is worth, nothing. And underneath all that tolerance is intense, passionate hatred. Uh Uh-huh. Well, don't you think that's true? Uh Uh-huh, it is. Power is the object, not being tolerated. Fuck assimilation. But I mean, in spite of all this, the thing about America, I think, is that ultimately we're different from every other nation on earth in that with people here of every race, we can't, ultimately what defines us isn't race, but politics. Not like in a European country where there's an insurmountable fact of a kind of racial or ethnic uh, monopoly or monolith, like all Dutchmen. I mean, all Dutch people are, well, Dutch. And the Jews of Europe were never Europeans, just a small problem facing the monolith. But here, and there are so many small problems, it's really just a collection of small problems. The monolith is missing. Oh, I mean, of course, I suppose there's the monolith of white America, white, straight, male America. Which is not unimpressive, even among monoliths. Well, no, but when the race thing gets taken care of, and I don't mean to minimalize how major it is. I mean, I know it is. This is a really, really incredibly racist country, but it's like, well, the British. I mean, all these blue-eyed pink people, and it's just weird, you know. I mean, I'm not all that Jewish looking, or, well, maybe I am, but, you know, in New York, everyone is. Well, not everyone, but so many are, but 
So in England, in London, I walk into bars and I feel like Sid the Yit, you know? I mean, like Woody Allen and Annie Hall with the payas and the gabardine coat, like never, never, anywhere so much. I mean, not actively despised, not like they're Germans who I think are still terribly anti-Semitic and racist too. I mean, black racist, they pretend otherwise, but anyway, in London, there's just, and at one point I met this black gay guy from Jamaica who talked with a lilt, but he said his family had been living in London since before the civil war, the American one, and how the English never let him forget for a minute that he wasn't blue eyed and pink. And I said, yeah, me too. These people are anti-Semites. And he said, yeah, but the British Jews have the clothing business all sewed up and blacks there can't get a foothold. And it was an incredibly awkward moment of just, I mean, here we were in this bar that was gay, but it was a pub, you know, the beams and the placer and those horrible little like two day old fish and egg sandwiches and just so British, so old. And I felt, well, there's no way out of this because both of us are right now too much immersed in this history. Hope is dissolved in the sheer age of this place where race is what counts and there's no real hope of change. It's the racial destiny of the Brits that matters to them, not their political destiny. Whereas in America... Yeah, in America, race doesn't count. No, no, that's not... I mean, you can't be hearing that. I... It's, look, race, yes, but ultimately race here is a political question, right? Racists just try to use race here as a tool in a political struggle. It's not really about race. Like the spiritualists try to use that stuff. Are you enlightened? Are you centered, channeled, whatever, this reaching out for a spiritual past in a country where no indigenous spirits exist? Only the Indians. I mean, Native American spirits, and we killed them off. So now there are no gods here, no ghosts and spirits in America. There are no angels in America, no spiritual past, no racial past. There's only the political and the decoys and the ploys to maneuver around the inescapable battle of politics, the shifting downwards and outwards of political power to the people. Power to the people. Amen. Look at the time. Oh my goodness. Will you look at the time? I gotta... Do you... You think that this is, what, racist or naive or something? Well, it's certainly something. Look, I just remembered I have an appointment. What? I mean, I really don't want to, like, speak from some position of privilege and... I'm sitting here thinking eventually he's got to run out of steam. So I let you rattle on and on saying about maybe seven or eight things I find really offensive. What? But I know you, Lewis. I know the guilt fueling this particular tirade is obviously already swollen bigger than your hemorrhoids. I don't have hemorrhoids. I hear differently. May I finish? Yes, but I don't have hemorrhoids. So finally, when I have... Pryor told you. He's an asshole. He shouldn't have... You promised, Lewis. Pryor is not a subject. You brought him up. I brought up hemorrhoids. So it's indirect. Passive-aggressive. 
Unlike, I suppose, banging me over the head with your theory that America doesn't have a race problem. Oh, to be fair, I never said that. Not exactly, but... I said... But it was close enough. Because if it had been that blunt, I'd, I would have just walked out and... You deliberately misinterpreted. Stop I... interrupting. I haven't been able to... Just let me... No, what? Talk? You've been running your mouth nonstop since I got here. Yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Up the hill, down the hill. Playing with your monolith. And girlfriend... It would have joined in awesome at any time instead of... Girlfriend, it is truly an awesome spectacle, but I better, I got better things to do with my time than sit here listening to this racist bullshit just because I feel sorry for you that... I am not a racist. Oh, come on. So maybe I am a racist, but... Oh, I really hate that. It's no fun picking on you, Lewis. You're so guilty. It's like throwing darts at a glob of jello. There's no satisfying hits, just quivering. The darts just blop in and vanish. I just think when you are discussing lines of oppression, it gets very complicated and- Oh, is that a fact? You know, we black drag queens have a rather intimate knowledge of the complexity of the lines of- X black drag queen. Actually, XX. You're doing drag again? I don't, maybe. I don't have to tell you. I maybe. think it's sexist. I didn't ask you. Well, it is. The gay community, I think, has to adopt the same attitude towards drag as black women have to, have to take towards black women blues singers. Well, we are walking dangerous tonight. Well, it's all internalized oppression, right? I mean, the masochism, the stereotypes, the- Lewis, are you deliberately trying to make me hate you? No, I- I mean, are you deliberately transforming yourself into an arrogant, sexual political, stunnelist slash racist flag waving thug for my benefit? You know what I think? What? You hate me because I'm a Jew. I'm leaving. It's true. You have no basis except your... Lewis, it's good to know you haven't changed. You're still an honorary citizen of the Twilight Zone. And after your pale, pale white polemics on behalf of racial insensity, you have a flaming fuck of a lot of nerve calling me an anti-Semite. Now, I really got to go. You called me Lou the Jew. That was a joke. I didn't think it was funny. It was hostile. It was three years ago. So? You just called yourself Sid the Yid. That's not the same thing. Sid the Yid is different from Jew Lou the Jew. Yes. Someday you'll have to explain that to me. But right now, you hate me because I you hate Black people. I do not. But I do think most Black people are anti-Semitic. Most black people. That's racist, Lewis. And I think most Jews. Louis Farrakhan. Ed Cock. Jesse Jackson. Yeah. Oh, really, Lewis? This is. Hi, me town. Hi, me town. Lewis, you voted for Jesse Jackson. You sent checks to the Rainbow Coalition. I'm ambivalent. The checks bounced. All your checks bounced, Lewis. You're ambivalent about everything. What's that supposed to mean? You may be dumber than shit, but I refuse to believe you can't figure it out. Try. I was never ambivalent about Pryor. I love him. I do. I really do. Nobody said different. Love and ambivalence are 
Real love isn't ambivalent. Real love isn't ambivalent. I swear that's a line from my favorite best-selling paperback novel, In Love with the Night Mysterious, except I don't think you ever read it. I never read it, no. You ought to, instead of spending the rest of your life trying to get through democracy in America. It's about this white woman whose daddy owns a plantation in the deep South in the years before the Civil War, the American one. And her name is Margaret, and she's in love with her daddy's number one slave, and his name is Thaddeus. And she's married, but her white slave owner has AIDS, antebellum insufficiently developed sex organs. And there's a lot of hot stuff going down when Margaret and Thaddeus can catch a spare torrid 10 under the cotton pick and moon. And then of course the Yankees come and they set the slaves free and the slaves string up old daddy and so on. Historical fiction. Somewhere in there I call Margaret and Thaddeus, somewhere in there I recall Margaret and Thaddeus find the time to discuss the nature of love. Her face is reflecting the flames of burning passion. You know the way white people do. And his black face is dark in the night and she says to him, Thaddeus, Real love isn't ever ambivalent. In a little pause, Emily enters and turn off, turns off the IV drip. Thaddeus looks at her. He's contemplating her thesis. And he isn't sure. He agrees. Treatment number four. Oh, pharmaceutical miracle. Lazarus breathes again. Is he... How bad is he? You want the laundry list. Shirt off. Let's check the... Fire takes his shirt off. She examines his lesions. There's the weight problem, and the shit problem, and the moral problem. Only six? That's good. Pants? He drops his pants. He's naked. She examines. And he thinks he's going crazy. Looking good. What else? Oh, ankles sore and swollen, but the legs better. Nausea's mostly gone with the little orange pills. BM's pure liquid, but not bloody anymore. For now. My eye doctor says everything's okay. For now. My dentist says yuck when he sees my fuzzy tongue. And now he wears these little condoms on his thumb and forefinger. And a mask. So what? My dermatologist is in Hawaii and my mother... Well, leave my mother out of it, which is usually where my mother is out of it. My glands are like walnuts. My weight's holding steady for a week, too. My friend died two days ago of bird tuberculosis. Bird tuberculosis. That scared me. I didn't go to the funeral today because he was an Irish Catholic, and it's probably open casket, and I'm afraid of something the bird tb or seeing him or so i guess i'm doing okay except for of course i'm going nuts we ran the toxoplasmosis series and there's no indication i know i know but i i feel like something terrifying is on its way you know like a missile from outer space and it's plummeting down towards the earth and I'm, I'm ground zero and I am generally known where I am known as one cool collected queen. 
and I am ruffled. There's really nothing to worry about. I think that, oh Lord, I think that Shosin Bamroman Hamse Menuko Michano Al Canfe Hashino. What? Everything's fine. Bimalos Kedoshim Udhoram Kezohar Horikia Mazhiram. Oh, I don't understand what your Es Nishmas prior Shehalak Leolomo Bavur Shinodvu Zdoka Bad has chorus Nishmoso. Why are you doing that? Stop it! Stop stop it! Stop what? You were just weren't you just speaking in Hebrew or something? Hebrew? I'm basically Italian-American. No, I don't speak in Hebrew. Oh, no. Oh, God, please. I really think I... I um... Look, I, I'm sorry. I have a waiting room full of... I think you're one of the lucky ones. You'll live for years, probably. You're pretty healthy for someone with no immune system. Are you seeing someone? Loneliness is a danger. A therapist? No. I don't need to see anyone. I just... Well, think about it. You aren't going crazy. You're just under a lot of stress. No wonder. She starts to write in his chart. Suddenly, there is an astonishing blaze of light. A huge chord sounded by a gigantic choir. And a great book with steel pages mounted atop a molten red pillar pops up from the stage floor. The book opens. There is a large aleph inscribed on its pages, which bursts into flames. Immediately, the book slams shut and disappears instantly under the floor as the lights become normal again. Emily notices none of this writing. Prior is agog. Hebrew. <laughs> Prior flees. Help me. I beg your pardon. You're a nurse. Give me something. I don't know what to do anymore. I, last week at work, I screwed up the Xerox machine, like, permanently, and so I, then I tripped on the subway steps, and my glasses broke, and I cut my forehead here, see, and now I can't see much, and my forehead, it's like the mark of Cain, stupid, right, but it won't heal, and every morning I see it, and I think biblical things mark of cain judas iscariot and his silver and his noose people who in betraying what they love betray what's truest in themselves i feel nothing but cold from myself just cold and every night i miss him i miss him so much but then those sores and the smell and where I thought it was going. I could be, I could be sick too. Maybe I'm sick too. I don't know. Please tell him I love him. Can you do that? I've thought about it for a very long time and I still don't understand what love is. Justice is simple. Democracy is simple. Those things are unambivalent. But love is very hard. And it goes bad for you if you violate the hard law of love. 
I'm dying. He's dying. You just wish you were. Oh, cheer up, Lewis. Look at that high, heavy sky out there. Purple. Purple. Boy, what kind of homosexual are you anyway? That's not purple, Mary. That color up there is mauve. All day today, it's like thank it felt like Thanksgiving. Soon this ruination will be blanketed white. You can smell it. Can you smell it? Smell what? Softness, compliance, forgiveness, grace. No. I can't help you learn that. I can't help you, Lewis. You're not my business. He exits. Lewis puts his head in his hands, inadvertently touching his cut forehead. How? Fuck. He stands slowly, looks towards where Belize exited. Smell what? He looks both ways to be sure no one is watching, then inhales deeply and is surprised. Huh. Snow. Scene three. Same day. Harper in a very white, cold place with a brilliant blue sky above, a delicate snowfall. She is dressed in a beautiful snowsuit. The sound of the sea, faint. Snow. Ice. Mountains of ice. Where am I? I feel better. I do. I feel better. There are ice crystals in my lungs, wonderful and sharp, and the snow smells like cold crushed peaches. And there's something, there's some current of blood in the wind. How strange. It has that iron taste. Ozone. Ozone. Wow. Where am I? The kingdom of ice, the bottommost part of the world. Antarctica. This is Antarctica. Cold shelter for the shattered. No sorrow here, tears freeze. Antarctica. Antarctica, oh boy, oh boy. Look at this. I, oh, oh, I must have really snapped the tether, huh? Apparently. That's great. I want to stay here forever. Set up camp. Build things. Build a city, an enormous city made up of frontier forts, dark wood, and green roofs, and high gates made of pointed logs, and bonfires burning on every street corner. I should build a river. Where are the forests? No timber here. Too cold. Ice, no trees. Details, I'm sick of details. I'll plant them and grow them. I'll live off caribou fat, I'll melt it over the bonfires and drink it from a long curved goat horn cup. It'll be great. I want to make a new world here so that I never have to go home again. As long as it lasts, ice has a way of melting. No, forever. 
I can have anything I want here. Maybe even companionship. Someone who has desire for me. You, maybe? It's against the bylaws of the International Order of Travel Agents to get involved with clients. Rules are rules. Anyway, I'm not the one you really want. There isn't anyone. Maybe an Eskimo? Who could ice fish for food and help me build a nest for when the baby comes? There are no Eskimo in Antarctica. And you're not really pregnant? You made that up. Well, all of this is made up, so if the snow feels cold, I'm pregnant, right? Here, I can be pregnant, and I can have any kind of baby I want. This is a retreat, a vacuum. Its virtue is that it lacks everything. Deep freeze for feelings. You can be numb and safe here. That's what you came for. Respect the delicate ecology of your delusions. You mean like no Eskimo in Antarctica? Correcto. Ice and snow, no Eskimo, even hallucinations have lost. Well then, who's that? Eskimo an Eskimo. An Antarctic Eskimo, a fisher of the polar deep. There's something wrong with this picture. The Eskimo beckons. I'm going to like this place. It's my own National Geographic special. Oh. <laughs> I think I felt her kicking. Maybe I'll give birth to a baby covered with thick white fur, and that way she won't be cold. My breasts will be full of hot cocoa so she doesn't get chilly, and if she gets really cold, she'll have a pouch I can crawl into like a marsupial. We'll mend together. Yeah, that's what we'll do. We'll mend. Scene four, same day, an abandoned lot in the South Bronx. A homeless woman is standing near an oil drum in which a fire is burning. Snowfall, trash around. Hannah enters dragging two heavy suitcases. Excuse me? I, I said, excuse me? Can, can you tell me where I am? Is this Brooklyn? Do you know a Pineapple Street? Is there some sort of bus or train or... I'm lost. I, I just arrived from Salt Lake, Utah. I took the bus that I was told to take and I got off. Well, it was the very last stop, so I had to get off. And I asked the driver, was this Brooklyn? And he nodded yes. But he was from one of those foreign countries where they think it's good manners to nod at everything, even if you have no idea what you're nodding at. And in truth, I think he spoke no English at all, which I think would make him ineligible for employment on public transportation. The public being English speaking mostly. Do you speak English? Woman nods. I was supposed to be met at the airport by my son. He didn't show, and I don't wait more than three and three quarters hours for anyone. I, I should have been patient, I guess. But it, is this? Bronx. Is that the Bronx? 
well, how in the name of heaven did I get to the Bronx when the bus driver said, Sir, 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 will you just stop? This disgusting slurping, you disgusting slurping, feeding animal. Feeding yourself, just feeding yourself. What would it matter to you or to anyone if you just stopped feeding and died? Can, can you just tell me where I can? Why was the Polish bridge named after a Polish man? I I don't know what you're talking. That was a joke. For Pete's sake, is there anyone else who stand further off? You find some holding can of any more of this soup. Slurp, 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 you animal. And the, I know you're just going it all away and where will you do that by what bush it's fucking cold out here and i <sighs> that's right because it was supposed to have been a tunnel it's not very funny have you read the prophecies of nostradamus Ooh. some guy i went out with once somewhere nostradamus prophet outcast lies like Scary shit. He just shut up, please. Now I want you to stop jabbering for a minute and pull your wits together and tell me how to get to Brooklyn, because you know, and you're gonna tell me, because there is no one else around to tell me, and I am wet, and I am cold, and I am very angry. So I am sorry you're psychotic, but just make the effort. Take a deep breath. Do it. They breathe together. That's good. Now exhale. And they do. Now, how do I get to Brooklyn? Don't know. Never been. Sorry. Want some soup? Manhattan? Maybe you know, I don't suppose you know the location of the Mormon's Visitor Center? Yeah, 65th and Broadway. You? I go there all the time. Free movies. Boring, but you can stay all day. Well, so how do I get there? Take the D train. Next block. Make a right. Thank you. Yeah. And you said, I think we will all be insane. Scene five. Same day. Joe and Roy in the study of Roy's brownstone. Roy is wearing an elegant bathrobe. He has made a considerable effort to look well. He isn't well, and he hasn't succeeded much in looking it. I can't. The answer is no, I'm sorry. Oh. Well, apologies. I can't see that there's anyone asking for apologies. I'm sorry, Roy. Oh, well, apologies. My wife is missing, Roy. My mother's coming in from Salt Lake to to help look, I guess. I'm supposed to be at the airport now picking her up, but I I just spent two days at the hospital, Roy. With a bleeding ulcer. I, I was spitting up blood. Blood, huh? 
Look, I'm very busy here, and... It's just a job. A job? A job? Washington? Dumb Utah Mormon hick shit? Roy. Washington! When Washington called me, I was younger than you. You think I said, oh, fuck, no, I can't go. I got two fingers up my asshole and a little moral nosebleed to boot. When Washington calls you, my pretty young punk friend, you go, or you can go fuck yourself sideways because the train is pulled out of the station and you are out. Nowhere. Out in the cold. Fuck you, Mary Jane. Get out of here. Just let me... Explain. Ephemera. You broke my heart. Explain that. Explain that. I love you, Roy. There is so much that I want to be. What you see in me, I want to be a participant in the world, in your world, Roy. I want to be capable of that. I've, I've tried. I Really, I have, but I can't do this. Not because I don't believe in you, but because I believe in you so much in what you stand for at, at heart. The order, the decency. I would give anything to protect you, but there are laws I can't break. It's too ingrained. It's not me. There's enough damage I've already done. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm dead. You're not dead, boy. You're a sissy. You love me? That's very moving. I'm moved. It's nice to be loved. I warned you about her, didn't I, Joe? But you don't listen to me. Why? Because you say Roy is smart and Roy is a friend. But Roy, well, he isn't nice. And you want to be nice, right? A nice, nice man. You know what my greatest accomplishment was, Joe, in my life? What I'm about to, what I am able to look back on and be the proudest of? And I have helped make presidents and unmake them and mayors and more goddamn judges than anyone in NYC ever and several million dollars tax free. And what do you think means the most to me? You ever hear of Ethel Rosenberg? Huh, Joe? Huh? Yeah, yeah I, I guess. I, uh, yes. 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 You have heard of Ethel Rosenberg. Yes. Maybe you even read about her in the history books. If it wasn't for me, Joe, Ethel Rosenberg would be alive today, writing some personal advice column from Ms. Magazine. She isn't, because during the trial, Joe, I was on the phone every day talking with the judge. Roy. Every day, doing what I do best, talking on the phone, making sure that timid yid nebbish on the bench did his duty to America, to history... That sweet, unprepossessing woman, two kids, boo-hoo-hoo, reminded all of us of our little Jewish mamas. She came this close to getting life. I pleaded till I wept to put her in the chair. Me. I did that. I would have fucking pulled the switch if they'd have let me. Why? Because I fucking hate traitors. Because I fucking hate communists. Was it legal? Fuck legal. Am I a nice man? Fuck nice. They say terrible things about me in the nation. Fuck the nation. You want to be nice or you want to be effective. Make the law or subject to it. Choose. Your wife chose. 
A week from today, she'll be back. She knows how to get what she wants. Maybe I ought to send her to Washington. I don't believe you. Gospel. You can't possibly mean what you're saying. Roy, you were the assistant United States attorney on the Rosenberg case. Ex parte communication with the judge during the trial would be censurable, at least probably conspiracy. And in a case that resulted in execution, it's... (laughs) What? Murder? You're not well, is all. What do you mean, not well? Who's not well? You said... No, I didn't. I said what? Roy, you have cancer. No, I don't. You told me you were dying. What the fuck are you talking about, Joe? I never said that. I'm in perfect health. There's not a goddamn thing wrong with me. Jake? Joe hesitates. He holds out his hand to Roy. Roy pulls Joe into a close, strong clinch. It's okay that you hurt me because I love you, baby Joe. That's why I'm so rough on you. Roy releases Joe. Joe backs away a step or two. Prodigal son, the world will wipe its dirty hands all over you. It already has, Roy. Now go. Roy shoves Joe hard. Joe turns to leave. Roy stops him, turns him around. No, 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 I'll always be here, waiting for you. Then again, with sudden violence, he pulls Joe close. What did you want from me? What was all this? What do you want, treacherous, ungrateful little... Joe, very close to belting Roy, grabs him by the front of his robe and propels him across the length of the room. He holds Roy at arm's length, the other arm ready to hit. Transgress a little, Joseph. Joe releases Roy. There are so many laws. Find one you can break. Joe hesitates, then leaves, backing out. When Joe is gone, Roy doubles over in great pain, which he's been hiding throughout the whole scene with Joe. Andy! Andy, get in here! Andy! The door opens, but it isn't Andy. A small Jewish woman, dressed modestly in a 50s hat and coat, stands in the doorway. The room darkens. Who the fuck are you? A new nurse? The figure in the doorway says nothing. She stares at Roy. A pause. Roy looks at her carefully, gets up, crosses to her. He crosses back to the chair, sits heavily. Fuck. Ethel. You don't look good, Roy. Well, Ethel, I don't feel good. You lost a lot of weight. That suits you. You were heavy back then. Zaftig meet hips. I haven't been heavy since 1960. We were all heavier back then before the body thing started. Now I look like a skeleton. They stare. The shits really hit the fan, huh, Roy? Well, the fun's just started. What is this, Ethel? Halloween? You're trying to scare me? Well, you're wasting your time. I'm scarier than you any day of the week, so beat it, Ethel. Boom! Better dead than red. 
Somebody try to shake me up. <laughs> From the throne of God in heaven to the belly of hell, you can all fuck yourselves and then go jump in the lake because I'm not afraid of you or death or hell or anything. Be seeing you soon, Roy. Julius sends his regards. Yeah? Well, send this to Julius. Lifts the bird in her direction, stands and moves toward her. Halfway across the room, he slumps to the floor, breathing laboriously in pain. You're a very sick man, Roy. Oh, God. <laughs> hmm. He doesn't hear you, I guess. We should call the ambulance. He goes to the phone. Ha! Huh. Buttons. Such things they got now. What do I dial, Roy? 911. <laughs> it sings. La, la, la. <laughs> Yes, you should please send an ambulance to the home of Mr. Roy Cohn, the famous lawyer. What's the address, Roy? 244 East 87th. 244 East 87th Street. No apartment number. He's got the whole building. My name? Ethel Greenglass Rosenberg. Me? No, I'm not related to Mr. Cohn. An old friend. They said a minute. I have all the time in the world. You're immortal. I am immortal. Ethel? I have forced my way into history. I ain't never gonna die. <laughs> history is about to crack wide open. Millennium approaches. Scene six. Late that night. Pryor's bedroom. Pryor one, watching Pryor in bed, who is staring back at him, terrified. Sorry. Tonight, Pryor the first is dressed in weird alchemical robes and hat over his historical clothing, and he carries a long palm leaf bundle. Tonight's the night. Aren't you excited? Tonight, she arrives right through the roof. Hadam Agudul. Lumen, phosphor, fluor. Candle, an unending billowing of scarlet and look, look, garlic, a beer, holy water, a crucifix. Fuck off! Get the fuck out of my room. Go. Hard as a hickory knob, I'll bet. <laughs> he all too mess when they approach. We wax full like moons. Dance, dance. Stand up, damn it! Give us your hands, dance. Listen. A lone oboe begins to play a little dance tune. Delightful sound. Care to dance? Please leave me alone. Please just let me sleep. Ah, you want someone familiar. A partner who knows his steps. Close your eyes. Imagine. I don't. Hush. Close your eyes. Prior does. Now open them. Prior does. Lewis appears. He looks gorgeous. The music builds gradually into a full-blooded romantic dance tune. Lou. Dance with me. I can. My leg. It hurts at night. I... Are you a ghost, Lou? No. Just spectral. Lost to myself. Sitting all day on cold park benches. Wishing I could be with you. 
Dance with me, babe. Fire stands up. The leg stops hurting. They begin to dance. The music is beautiful. Hmm. Now I see why he's got no children. He's a sodomite. Be quiet, you medieval gnome. Let them dance. I'm not interfering. I've done my bit. Hooray, hooray, the messages come. Now I'm blowing off. I don't like it here. Prior one vanishes. The 20th century. Dear, world has gotten so terribly, terribly old. Prior two vanishes. Lewis and Prior waltz happily. Lights fade back to normal. Lewis vanishes. Prior dances alone. Then suddenly, the sound of wings fills the room. Scene seven. Split scene. Prior alone in his apartment. Lewis alone in the park. Again, a sound of beating wings. Oh, don't come in here. Don't come in. Lewis. No, my name is Prior Walter. I am the scion of an ancient line. I am abandoned. I No, no, my name is... Prior, and I live uh, here and now, and in the dark, in the dark, the recording angel opens its hundred eyes and snaps the spine of the book of life and hush, hush, I'm talking nonsense, I, no more mad scene, hush, hush. Lewis in the park on a bench, Joe approaches, stands at a distance, they stare at each other, then Lewis turns away. Do you know the story of Lazarus? Lazarus? Lazarus. I can't remember what happens exactly. I don't... Um, well, he was dead, Lazarus, and Jesus breathed life into him. He brought him back from death. Come here often? No. Yes. Yes. Back from the dead. You really, you believe that really happened? I don't know anymore what I believe. This is quite a coincidence, us meeting. I followed you <clears throat> from work. I, uh, I followed you here. You followed me. You probably saw me that day in the washroom and thought, there's a sweet guy, sensitive, cries for his friends in trouble. Yes. You thought maybe I'll cry for you. Yes. Well, I fooled you. Crocodile tears. Nothing. Joe reaches tentatively to touch Lewis's face. What are you doing? Don't do that. Uh, sorry, I'm I'm sorry. I'm just not. I think if you touch me, your hand might fall off or something. Worse things have happened to people who have touched me. Please. Oh boy. Um, <clears throat> can I? I want to touch you. Can I please just touch you? Um, here? 
He puts his hand on one side of Lewis's face and holds it there. I'm going to hell for this. Big deal. You think it could be any worse than New York City? He puts his hand on Joe's hand. He takes Joe's hand away from his face, holds it for a moment, then... Come on. Where? Home. With me. <laughs> this makes no sense. I I mean, I, I don't know you. Likewise. And what you do know about me, you don't like. The Republican stuff? Well, yeah, for starters. I don't not like that. I hate that. So why on earth should we... Lewis goes to Joe and kisses him. Strange bedfellows. I don't know. I never made it with one of the damned before. I would really rather not have to spend tonight alone. I'm a pretty terrible person, Lewis. Lou. No, I really, really am. I don't think I deserve being loved. There. See? We already have a lot in common. Lewis stands, begins to walk away. He turns, looks back at Joe. Joe follows. They exit. Prior listens. At first, no sound. Then once again, the sound of beating wings, frighteningly near. Oh, that sound, that sound, it... What is that? Like birds or something, like a really big bird. I'm frightened, I... No, no fear, find the anger, find the... Anger, my blood is clean, my brain is fine, I can handle pressure, I am a gay man, and I am used to pressure, to trouble. I am tough and strong, and... Oh, oh my goodness, I... He's washed over by an intense sexual feeling. Oh, oh, I'm hot. I'm so, oh, jeez. What is going on here? I, oh, I must have a fever. I, the bedside lamp flickers wildly as the bed begins to roll forward and back. There is a deep bass creaking and groaning from the bedroom ceiling, like the timbers of a ship under immense stress. And from above, a fine rain of plaster dust. Oh, please. Oh, please. Oh, something's coming in here. I'm scared. I don't like this at all. Something's approaching and I... Oh! There is a great blaze of triumphal music, her heralding. The light turns an extraordinary harsh, cold, pale blue, then a rich, brilliant, warm, golden color, then a hot, bilious green, and finally a spectacular royal purple. Then silence. Oh, God Almighty. Very Steven Spielberg. A sound like a plummeting meteor tears down from very, very far above the earth, hurtling at an incredible velocity towards the bedroom. The light seems to be sucked out of the room as the projectile approaches. As the room reaches darkness, we hear a terrifying crash as something immense strikes Earth. The whole building shudders, and a part of the bedroom ceiling, lots of plaster and lathe and wiring, crashes to the floor. And then, in a shower of unearthly white light, 
spreading great opalescent gray silver wings, the angel descends into the room and floats above the bed. Greetings, prophet. The great work begins. The messenger has arrived. Blackout. End of part one.